Hello, listeners. You've bared with us, bore with us, Mike. How do you say that properly? Um, Born with us? No, uh, bared. I think yeah. Bared. Yeah. Okay. There we go. Well, you've bared with us for two hundred episodes of Random Encounter. We're here for episode two hundred. It's me, Greg Delmage, your usual host, and as usual these days, I am joined by John O'Logan, my lovely co-host. Hello, all. Happy, happy two uh, hundredth. And I realize I've been like staring off in the middle distance. I should look at the camera because we're doing this one on camera. Uh, as oh, you can yeah. see, you got me, you got Jono, and then over there, look at that. It's Mike Solosi. Hey, I have my notes, my camera, and my audio recording in three different spots, so I'm going to be darting my eyes around like a chameleon. <laughs> as, oh, wait, I really hope so. Is that what your superpower? You have, your eyes can go two different directions? No, my superpower is mimicking animals, not imi- not imitating the physical characteristics of am- animals, I'm afraid. That's true. Uh, you do do a mean cricket amongst many things. But uh, this isn't Rhythm Encounter. It's not animal-themed. Uh, we're talking on uh, Random Encounter, and we brought in, of course, our other host uh, from the other podcast, Mike Solosi. And I guess Rhythm did just get going. We could have brought Mike, but he's too busy for us, unfortunately, uh, the, the Sabato persuasion. Yep, so it's just the three site. of us. Plus, when you bring in more than one mic into a situation, you've really got to start getting into nickname territory. Uh, we did a, an episode of Rhythm once with three mics, and like the other two were named Mac and Solosi. I was in an English class <laughs> with five mics once, and poor Mike Sullivan oh became Sully in like five seconds into the first period. So, yeah, when, when uh, we mics are used to earning nicknames. And then the, the fact that we're recording on mics, and anyways, it's a whole oh, thing. Oh, yeah. Who wants to do that? And we're already trying to figure out doing this on camera. So hi, everybody. You can see us if you didn't already know what we looked like. This is us. Uh, I apologize in advance. An hour and a half. What was that, Jonna? No, I'm just laughing. Yep, this is what we look like. <laughs> we're sorry. Okay, I'm, I'm sorry for not being a beautiful Canadian actor. But, uh, you know, one out of three ain't bad. Well, I'm not clean shaven, so I'm pretty filthy looking too right now. But uh, I'm over here on the West Coast, so it's nice and sunny for me, whereas you two have to deal with uh, the darker eastern seaboard. Yeah, the darkest uh, the darkest has been thus far. Uh, how's the, the weather going for you folks? It's been very rainy a little. Today, of course, it's nice and sunny, which means I have a very nice uh, glow on me and I'm probably very washed out. It's been about seven degrees today, I think. So not what I would call warm. But, and then, you know, so it's you down stateside. So it's been warmer, colder and uh, um, in the fall. Yeah, I'm in the mid-Atlantic East Coast. So it's it's pretty normal fall weather, just getting a little colder, colder uh, leaves are starting to change color. I mean, in other parts of the United States, the weather has been literally cat- catastrophic. So yeah. uh, um, like my my uncle in Colorado is uh, like they have the largest fire and that's areas history going Oof. on right now. But I but uh, yeah, the East Coast is doing OK. It's probably be a few months before the fires reach us. Yeah, that's the hope, right? And then mm-hmm. if by then it's wet and too wet for it to spread any further, here's hoping. Yo, but, yeah. yeah, exactly. But yeah, like I said, there's been 200 episodes of uh, this whole random encounter thing, this podcast dream that I understand Rob Steinman was the head of back in uh, 2010. I mean, I've been listening to it since its inception. Uh, well, not since then. I went and did backlogging of the episodes. But I started at episode one, worked my way all the way through. So where it started back on uh, was it June 16th, I think, and uh, where it is now. And then uh, it wasn't until like yourself, Slow, so you came in in 2014, but right. you didn't jump right on uh, retro right then either, right? 
Yeah, um, Retro Encounter didn't start until 2015. I was a yeah. I was a music reviewer for about a year, and then I be, switched to podcasting. And I think Rob was hired to write reviews, but he from a very very from very very early on he wanted to wanted the podcast for the website. I, th- I think he started at Random Encounter less than a year after start after joining. Gotcha. Um, and he and he, and he was, still did the odd one, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but um, he was up with he was the main host of uh, Random Encounter for I think seven or eight years. Before handing it off to Derek, who then handed it off to you. Yes, very, uh, very quickly. Passing <laughs> I was the torch. not expecting that. <laughs> uh, yeah, we uh, back around. I want to say it was just before 150. I think is when I hopped on because uh, again, Rob announced that he was retiring uh, just from the site in general, just life teaching. Uh, I think him and his wife Jackie were planning on going towards the kid direction as well at some point soon. So. All that was kind of culminating, and this just didn't have a place in his life. So Derek was the natural selection, I guess, at that point, being um, as regular on the show as he was. Careful. And and that, that, natural niche. selection can mean something very different in other contexts. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, the natural choice? Is that the better way to go? <laughs> the obvious choice? I'm not sure. I don't know. I wasn't part of the politics, but I just saw a niche, and I put myself out there. I've been wanting to give back to the site for ages, and I was like, I'll come on and join since I know Derek well enough, and... Worked my way in there, and then it wasn't until Derek got too busy for it, too, that he threw it at me, and I had to keep going somehow, so here we are. And John, I was helping me since, uh, I think it was April now? This whole year has been kind of a blur, but yeah. uh, you've been official for a while. And then, Solosi, when did you take over Retro? I don't don't know if you talked about that on your anniversary, sure. episode, um, on your anniversary episode or not. Sure. Well, uh, Retro Encounter, the first idea from it was by former staff member Josh Curry, and he start, we started in... May of 2015, and I was on a lot of early episodes, and was mm-hmm. and uh, in less than a year, I was sort of planning the podcast with him. And in 2016, we moved to a weekly format, and I became the head editor and producer. And then in 2017, Josh left the website to focus on his family because he was having a kid. I think he has a second kid now, and I took over the podcast fully in early 2017. And it's been uh, I've been the lead host and lead producer ever since but but i don't host every episode i uh if, if uh, people want to host no, for, for a particular idea um they're uh they're welcome to and i host uh, i think i'm on something like 70 percent of all the episodes and i host most of the ones i'm on but it's a it, it's a fairly democratic podcast within rpg fan the hardest working man in rpgs fan yeah, it seems that way. You keep yeah. yourself busy. And uh, yes. and you'd also, over the pandemic, started yourself another podcast because apparently one wasn't enough. Yeah, I, I want, yeah, I started the second podcast. Uh, you can find it on my social media accounts. Um, and a bunch of RPG f- f- fan people have been on it. But uh, I took a bit of a break during it when I had to focus on other things for a while. But yeah, it, it's I'm about 15 episodes deep on that one. I want to try and get to maybe 30 before retiring it. But uh, it's... Yeah, I, I I enjoy podcasting, and I and I was interested in podcasting on RPG Fan when I joined the music section. But uh, and and Retro Encounter, like sort of hopping on that bandwagon, since it was almost all recent recent hires that were starting that one, felt like the right opportunity. But I was a, I was a podcast listener right. before joining the site. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, same with me. And it just seemed like the obvious way to give back when I was. Again, saw a niche for for myself. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's been 10 years, like you said, a decade, and we've gotten to episode 200. However, Solosi, you have definitely eclipsed uh, Random Encounter with your uh, aggressive workload. 
being weekly uh, would exacerbate that. It's uh, yes. I, I think the math checks out once a week versus once every two weeks. One's a higher yeah. rate than the other. And then, of course, uh, Rob definitely had plenty of hiatuses and delays. And again, I wasn't obviously working at the site to know what and when was going on. But I remember a lot of episodes of listening to and having Rob being like, sorry, it's been like a month since we've posted or it's been about a month and a half or two months. Like there's frequent delays. So I blame Rob. Rob's the re- <laughs> I think that he's not but he's not the only host that took a hiatus for his own wedding. Just saying. Fair. That's fair. I did do that. And you got to take breaks once in a while. I mean, if uh, if we can get some more folks coming into swing in as extra hosts and do some more special episodes, I'll get more breaks. But in the meantime, I still try and do my best to get this out on a biweekly basis. Just like, yeah, you're trying to get it out almost every Friday. And like you, I feel bad if I don't get it out on schedule. Yeah, I I, I, I have missed episodes or been very late with episodes sometimes, and every time I feel terrible, and trying to avoid feeling terrible is part of how I'm able to continue with the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's it's just trying to remind ourselves, we are volunteers, and we're allowed to to go, hey, I need my time, but yeah, I get it, you want to you wanna do right by the folks that listen, because we wouldn't be at 200 episodes, are you 214, is that where you're at now? Us? No, no, we're around 260. 260. Wow, I'm way off. <laughs> You're around 260. Either way, we wouldn't have this many episodes, and we wouldn't have Rhythm and Counterback without the enthusiasm of the fans. So that's why we wanted to do uh, a bit of a special episode this year, or uh, this yeah. year, this this episode, whatever, to kind of mark the occasion. This uh, wonderful love it or hate it, you have to see us. <laughs> and yeah, if you want, otherwise oh, FYI, you can just listen to for it. anyone who's FYI for anyone who's listening to this on their podcast player, uh, they can watch the video at uh, our YouTube channel. Oh no. We're saving this video recording. Oh, good. Mm, okay. <laughs> I'm not anxious uh, now. I feel great. We'll have to edit out all the embarrassing stuff, or we'll just be a still photo of Solosi. <laughs> you are wearing a shirt, right? Oh, this... Of course I am. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Muffled clothes Ooh. rustling, trying to... It's I'm windy. wearing a Castlevania <laughs> shirt that has... That that says Castlevania in the Disney font with an outline with an outline of Dracula's castle. Yep, I like it. it. What am I wearing today? I've got I've got uh, Secret of Mana, the the wolves in the ice fields. Uh, I can't know if I'm in my shot, but yeah, Hmm. it's really sweet uh, Yeti one. That's really nice. Sounds nice, right? Yeah, it's perfect colors. (laughs) We don't see each other. We're just looking at you the whole time. So part of this episode, I wanted to look back on episode one to kind of remember where the podcast came from. And it's largely stayed the same. Uh, We are definitely not as uh, thirsty as Rob and his crew was in episode one, for lack of a better term. Yeah, it it, it felt a little bit like Rob was trying to pimp out Dennis in episode one. Right. (laughs) It it really did feel like random after dark. Mm hmm. Yeah, it kind of already started that way, and I'm not sure, I can't even remember because it's been ages since I've gone back and obviously listened from episode one on to where I finally joined the podcast, but it's, it definitely, things were, I guess, a bit looser with Rob in terms of uh, being all family friendly. Mm. And um, We swear a lot less now. We definitely do, and I just find the comedy of putting in a chocobo uh, sound effect for a swear just too funny to not do, so... (laughs) Yep. It also just happens to make our episodes sound less explicit, and, and then I also feel comfortable with my daughter listening to them if she ever wants to. Yeah, see, this but, is what happens yeah. when you put a family man in charge of the podcast. You get chocobo sound effects. Right. And mm. nobody hates it, I hope. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll, if we'll they do, they sorry. 
But uh, yeah, so 2010, we got this podcast going, and uh, in that episode, which was because they had some test episodes, as I understand, and this was basically the first like actual published episode. Uh, that's where they established the idea of talking about what games they were playing, whether it was review, whether it was new, and then trying to go into a topic that's come and gone out throughout the years. Um, John helped kind of help reinvigorate that when he got back on. But yeah, let's uh, I guess keep true to form for now and talk about what we were talking about just want to kind of read okay so uh, here is the description from the very first episode over the years over the years rpg fan has tried to keep itself up with the times by adding new things such as a twitter account or facebook page or that's about it so maybe we haven't been keeping (laughs) up with the times we have Uh, maybe we haven't been keeping up with the times as much as we'd like but rejoice because today marks a big step in rpg fan history as we celebrate the launch of our first ever podcast which we aptly named random encounter keep in mind this could be considered a pilot a test run a trial a beta version you get the idea and so on and so forth so yeah that's that's where we started out from we were uh, keeping up with the times and the cutting edge (laughs) like twitter and facebook um, and and now also, we've got an Instagram it, account, a Twitch account. We have our active YouTube finally as well. Like, we, the, the site's come far over the past those yeah, past we, ten years, and it has been around for twenty. We've yeah. also tripled or quadrupled the number of podcasts. And I think I, I think it was in the episode itself. Uh, Rob apologized for not having a podcast name or theme song yet, which which they did get qu- um, shortly after they recorded that. So so it's you know it's still called Random Encounter One, but they don't actually call it Random Encounter in the episode. Uh, and you could tell they were sort of um, basically mimicking the format of big of big gaming podcasts like Giant Bomber 8 Foreplay, where they're like, what we're playing yeah. segment, news segment, um, specific topic segment, and then sort of grand finale segment. But uh, but focusing on RPGs, of course, and uh, and um, you know hosting it with RPG f- fan staff. But it's. Uh, Again, like it was definitely four people that were excited to podcast and talk about RPGs together, which is really the foundation of what Random Encounter is and what uh, draw what drew me to it. Because it's, I mean, RPGs, even though they're wildly popular, are still like people that play a lot of RPGs is still a semi niche community. So a podcast directed at yeah, that community of. was what uh, was I think very effective. And um, I mean, I mean, Rob kept the thing going for seven or eight years, and that's that's no, yeah. that's not a joke. That's impressive. Mm-hmm. It's a yeah. I have a hard enough time keeping up with a bi-weekly schedule, and I've only been doing it now for a, a year and a half, more or less, on my own, and then bringing on John for the extra help. Like it's impressive that he was able to keep up with that long with having that little in the way of hiatuses and delays. So uh, good on him for creating this foundation. And yeah, it was a really big shock. I almost like like I obviously it wasn't like a huge emotional thing, but just I was like surprised when it was announced. Hey, I'm leaving the podcast. Uh, and that's when, yeah, like I was saying, is when I got the idea to reach out to Derek and see if I could come on and help him co-host and such. But it was, yeah, it was kind of like an end of an era. And that's, I think, what makes something super long. I mean, it's the reason why, I don't know, Doctor Who, for example, has gone on for so long. It's There's eras, there's, you know, you transition to a new Doctor, new companions, that kind of thing. And as long as you keep passing the torch, you can let something continue and continue and continue without getting super stale. I want my sonic screwdriver now. Come on. I actually have some. Right. Here's my... You would. My River Song one. Yeah, I have a whole collection. <laughs> Ooh, let, let me uh, extend this metaphor to, I don't know, the 45 seasons of Super Sentai or the... Ah. <laughs> yep. Or the 30 seasons of Kamen Rider. But, but, uh, but yeah, uh, there's... Whenever there's something long running, you want to you want to subdivide it somehow. And the Rob Steinman era is definitely the first big era of Random Encounter. 
Yeah, it was uh, the Dark Souls of Random Encounter. There's no other way to put it. <laughs> Does that make us uh, Dark Souls 3 of Random Encounter? Uh, I mean, maybe, or, or, but then maybe that the, means that Derek m- was the bad one. <laughs> or maybe maybe Rob, so. is, maybe Rob is the Demon Souls, then Derek is yeah. the Dark Souls, and now there you're the bad one. And now I'm the bad one. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I think I think that was one of the original bullet points in the random encounter drinking game. Someone mentions Dark Souls, take a drink. Yeah, and it's yeah. we we haven't really truly let it die. It definitely doesn't come up as much. And then Yakuza became the new thing for quite a while with uh, when Jono started frequenting the episodes because that basically was all he was playing and talking about. Really, but, I thought uh, the only thing I talked about was Abercrombie Video. <laughs> that was another one, uh, very niche to the Canadian audience, specifically uh, the East Coast. But it was, uh, yeah, we, we've had our own things, but Dark Souls is uh, definitely a deep-rooted part of Random Encounters' oeuvre. But, uh, yeah, sticking with the theme and where it all kind of started, what have we been playing? What's been going on? Uh, are you, because uh, Mike, you came on, you were mostly doing music reviews, you do the odd video game review, you don't really do many of them these days now, you're mostly just playing no. stuff for retro, so what have you been keeping up on for, for giggles and poops? Right. Figure out a non- uh, <laughs> I to say that. What's great about this is we can't edit this because we're on camera. Nope, so giggles and poops gonna is going to remain in there. Yeah, I can lend you some SNK character voice uh, words if you want to edit in something besides Chocobo works or, or quest. <laughs> I've got three. I got. Are we, are we, are we more got Kefka laughing? Are we more of a work crowd or more of a Que crowd? I'm kind of mm, Que. Mm. We like Que better. I could go either way. I've always liked Wark, and I think that's just because I started, yeah, with like Final Fantasy V. All right, yeah, we're like Chocobo. Yeah, we're hmm. we're at a state, we're at a stalemate. But anyway, I'm um, back to what I'm playing. I guess I'm I'm always playing something for Retro Encounter. I finished Fantasy Star Four a few weeks ago. I am near the end of Finding Paradise, and we're recording an episode on that in a few days. Uh, and the game I'm supposed to be playing next is Final Fantasy X-2, but I haven't started that. I'm going to start that right after I'm done with P- Finding Paradise. So you can listen to all those dedicated Retro Encounter episodes when those come out uh, to hear my thoughts on all of those. But the big game I've been playing... Uh, well, actually, before I talk about that, uh, I did finish Yakuza Kiwami last month. Take a drink! I played that over <laughs> September. I had a good time. It's, it's not as good as Yakuza 0, but very few things are. So... Uh, Yakuza Kiwami, totally acceptable Yakuza game, but I would recommend Zero ahead of it. Uh, but yeah, the big game I've been playing recently is 13 Sentinels Aegis Rim, which had a really oh, uh, so good. It had a really sparkling review from Alana in when it came yeah. out in uh, mid September, and I was already interested in it. But uh, but all the positive reviews really made me say, okay, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy this early, and uh, I finally started playing it after I finished Fantasy Star Four. And yo, it's really, really good. Um, <laughs> nice uh, to hear. Yeah, I've been hearing really good things. It's like a not quite you love it or you hate it, but just I think a lot of people are just surprised by how much um, they're loving it. Yes and no. I think that Vanillaware is you love it or you hate it. Uh, that's uh, the studio. <laughs> that's fair. Yeah, that's the studio led by George Kamitami, who has very beautiful backgrounds and beautiful character art that also are sometimes weirdly sexualized and sort of grotesque. Uh, we, we don't need to, that's not a conversation we need to have. Almost a Geiger thing. Yeah, I don't know, like almost more Geiger. like a, more like a Rubens thing than a Geiger thing, maybe. Uh, yeah, okay. But, yeah, but, uh, but yeah, that's the studio that did Odin Sphere, uh, Muramasa the Demon Blade, and Dragon's Crown. 
Um, yeah. And so, uh, and probably other games that I'm forgetting. So this is the new stu- the new game by that studio. They've been working on this game for something like seven years, or uh, at, at least five years. It was advertised at Atlas's booths at E3 in 2017 and 2018, but they didn't have anything besides a trailer and a poster. So, like, the, I think this game was supposed to come out many years before it actually did. But uh, when it came out in Japan in early 2020, it was getting, hey, this might be a masterpiece kind of buzz. And now playing it and playing it now, it's it, it's it's a lot of big ideas at once. Um, but it's all really really super cool. Like in, in the first thirty minutes, you get time travel between three different periods, uh, strategy mecha battles against invading aliens. Um, at, at least I think it's ten students are the main characters. I, I think I've only done prologue chapters for something like six or seven of them, uh, and it's a non-linear, multi-perspective visual novel story that already goes impressive places just minutes in and I, i'm something like three or four hours in and uh although i haven't gotten to a lot of meat of the game and there's still a lot more game to play and and i i should say it's basically like 80 percent visual novel 20 percent rts uh mecha game but it's extremely impressive the art is beautiful the presentation is beautiful the dialogue's good it's uh Absolutely. uh I don't know. If it's too early to say this is one of my favorites of the year, but it's on the road to doing that. This game is excellent. Read Alana's review on the main site, and it comes recommended from me at a very early position so far. I think I think based on the feedback, it's probably going to end up on a couple of people's top ten for 2020. Oh, I don't know if I've yeah. played ten. I haven't played ten new games in 2020, but it's it's this game is is really really good, and it's the most I've ever liked a vanilla, a vanillaware game because I uh, I mean I couldn't even finish Odin's Sphere. Uh, it, it got really repetitive in uh, at least the PS2 version in some of the middle chapters where I stopped. But uh, but this game is is excellent, and even just the way they do adventure game stuff, like whenever you meet a new person or hear about something, it becomes a concept, sort of in your in your brain. And then you when when you talk to other people, you can uh, you can use you can say a concept to them, like like ask them about this character or ask them about this event. Uh, it's like, like sort of like concepts in your mind are almost like items that you would throw at other at other at that you would throw at the screen in a traditional adventure game. Yeah, instead of rubbing two objects together, you're rubbing your thoughts against somebody else. Yeah, basically. And um, there's, <laughs> God. Uh, I mean, and there's there's weird rubbing in this game. Every main character has a oh. chip implanted in them that allows them to uh, to summon their giant mecha. And I th- and I'm, I'm I haven't gotten far enough to be certain about this, but I think the mecha were invented in a kid in the 2000s. Then he went back in time in the 1940s so Japan could start building them. And then when the the aliens invade in the 80s, the mecha are ready to be summoned. <laughs> it's like that, that, that's the kind of weird time travel weirdness we're, we're going with. And uh, that I'm sounds not pretty even, rad, though. I, I'm not even sure that's how it is. Again, I, I don't totally understand everything going on yet but it's it's extremely rad if you like like showa era kaiju movies things like things like 1970s common rider or 1960s ultraman or 1950s godzilla like it's a little bit of all of that you could uh, a, lot, a lot of it is set in the 80s so you can see like the you know the sort of the drab black uniforms and school and the and like they're trying to and schools that are in disrepair that are half being rebuilt it, it's like a very specific era of japanese school kids uh, that I'm sure is very meaningful to people that grew up in that era or or know that era. It's a uh, you know you know uh, there's a little bit of Yakuza Zero in this Jono. Well, and I feel like it hits also like even for North America, which might be catching some people like uh, the like the Stranger Things crowd too for that mm-hmm. whole nostalgia trip of it as well. It's I mean I mean it's a, a bit a of a Power Rangers. Uh, 
sure i mean power Mine rangers is a transformation but yeah power well there's some there's not a transformation but there is there are dramatic mecha summonings um which are you gotcha. know which is you know their own not exactly a common writer going henshin but it's uh it's again like like special effects shows and kaiju shows of a certain time is i think what evokes the most for me but it's yeah, uh, but which you, is definitely your wheelhouse. Oh yeah, and uh, and there's but there's a lot of influences going into this. The art is beautiful. Uh, like if anything, I think that the uh, the battles are more a means to an end rather than a really compelling part of the game. But uh, and for a while, the kids think that these uh, these battles are dreams. But it becomes clear that that it's more than just dreams happening. It's uh, again, I'm rambling and not painting a brilliant picture of what this game is, but. Um, read or watch our review on it, and uh, and just marvel at how beautiful the art is. It's 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 really really it's good. A pretty so far. looking game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I was I was one who edited the video for Alana's review for our YouTube channel, and yeah, I was just sucked right into how gorgeous that game looked, and that alone is enough to bring me in, and just like the, how unique the sort of like tower defensiveness of the battles was as well looked really neat it's like a weird tower defense mixed with the front mission kind of vibe to me from just on the outside looking at it yeah it's a little bit rts a little bit tower defense um uh, eventually you get to gameplay where like uh, uh students get exhausted if they fight two days in a row and they have to take a break uh so you have to sort of rotate uh rotate your pilots in and out and uh, and and uh, the robots or the mecha that you pilot are of different generations of when they were built, so they they have sort of different key features uh, between each one. And uh, it, there there is some complicated mecha customization, but really it's about this story. And I uh, uh, and uh, like the vanillaware games I've played or at least sampled have always been beautiful but weird and never totally jived with me. And this one is like just. 30 minutes in i was like okay yeah i'm gonna play this at least for many more hours because it's a it it, like for the first for the first time this is a vanillaware game with really good storytelling Hmm. yeah it helps that it really it really hits a lot of your uh a lot of the things you love it sounds yeah oh yeah just um uh a an interesting narrative and um sort of like a specific kind of uh era of japan that makes me feel like a virtual tourist to a degree and mm-hmm. um I, I i like i don't love school anime kind of stuff but i have played every persona game so may, i guess maybe i was lying five seconds ago maybe but it, <laughs> yeah. but like, like this game is it, it checks a lot of my boxes and i really encourage people trying it just don't go in it expecting a pure mecha combat game this is a visual novel with some mecha battles in it but uh and and like you can see the influences from you know eighties monster movies to Neon Genesis Evangelion. There's a uh, th- th- there's a lot of tradition behind this that you can that you can feel even if you don't totally know it. Like a few of the main characters really love those old monster movies and even reference some uh, some fictional ones. Neat. It was throwing me back to vibes of because um, I haven't played it obviously, but I have played Always Sometime Monsters. And just like that, that kind of the, the mecha battles, the common or uh, kaiju battles are kind of like something in the background, and it's it kind of gave me that vibe. Um, anyways, just like this is what's actually happening. Anyways, it was very neat. Just uh, there's a certain like hit of nostalgia that's that yeah, like you said, it, it's it's narrow focused on the presentation of what is going on in this time period, but with yeah some of the batshit cuckooness of the uh, the time travely stuff. 
Yeah, there's a recent anime from a year or two ago called SSSS Gridman, which is based on a tokusatsu show from the 90s, uh, who, whose American adaptation had Tim Curry in it, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, but we'll but, take it. Yeah, but um, like it reminded me of that a little bit because it, this is a human story about Japanese teenagers uh, with, you know, uh, with monster, with these giant kaiju battles being... Um, sort of dramatic payoffs in the story, but not really the whole story. Hmm. I dig it. Yeah. Hey, speaking about, I mean, it's, it's still random encounter. So, if, you know, we have to go off on random tangents occasionally. Uh, Slosi, have you read uh, the new uh, Ultraman comic coming out that came out from Marvel? I have not. I did see the, uh, I did see the, the recent Netflix adaptation Ultraman anime series. And I've seen a couple of the 2000s Ultraman shows, and um, and and I have DVDs of one of the 1960s Ultraman shows, but I have not read the recent comic. Yeah, the comic just came out uh, a couple of, I think, last month, actually, The Rise of Ultraman. It's Marvel, but uh, cool. they're doing something similar to what they did with the recent uh, Power Rangers comic, which is they're retelling the origin, they're, mm. but all the same characters are there, all the characters are there from the original Ultraman, but they're putting it in modern-day context. Uh, and apparently it's really good. I bet that I bet it is good. I mean, I mean, Ultraman's been around forever. Uh, yeah. It's uh, it's Toho, the same company that made that makes uh, Godzilla and uh, Mothra and some other um, kaiju movies of that era. Oh, I didn't realize but, that. Yeah, but the 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 oeuvre of tokusatsu shows I'm more familiar with is Toei, which is Kamen Rider and Super Sentai. And do you know about Marvel's complicated history with them? No, it's, I don't think so. Well, okay, uh, buckle up a little bit. Uh, <laughs> here we go. Here All right. Uh, Kamen Rider created in 1971, Super Sentai created in 1975, but gets canceled in, after two seasons. Then they, uh, Toei makes a partnership with Marvel, and they make a Spider-Man tokusatsu series. The Spider-Man series. Right. Yeah, the, the, yep. live ac- the live action Spider-Man, which I think is 77 or 78. And the he Emissary had, from Hell. Yep, he Emissary from Hell. He has a giant robot named Leopardon. And... Um, and, and 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 Toei That's exactly uh, what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It, it ran for about a year, maybe longer, but um, it was successful. And Toei was interested in doing a longer partnership with Marvel. So they're like, "Hey, we have this Super Sentai thing that we canceled two years ago. How about we bring it back, but with Marvel characters?" And Marvel at first was yes, but then during production they canceled. So the third season of Super Sentai is this weird different countries thing. It's, it was it was called Battle Fever, and it was led by a guy named Battle Japan. And uh, the, the intention was it was going to have a Captain America crossover. There was almost a Captain America live-action Japanese show, probably oh around gosh. probably around 1979 or 1980, that never happened. So they did this this show that was intended to have Captain America in it, but with no Captain America. And then Toei decides, well, this show did well in the ratings, so let's continue it anyway. And um, since then, since 1979, there has been a new season of Super Sentai every single year on Japanese television. And it was the 16th season of Super Sentai that was themed around dinosaurs that became the first season of Power Rangers. Mm. All right. But, Which so, then yeah. gave the very awkward that gave them the very awkward problem of having to figure out how to fit future seasons of it into the Power Rangers mold. Oh yeah, it got it get it got really weird. Like the season after the dinosaur season was about Chinese mythology, but they couldn't figure that out, and they wanted to keep the dinosaur suits, so they just said, "Oh, they have new Zords now. They're called the Thunder Zords, and the, yeah. there's a white tiger." So uh, it got it, it got. It got weird, how, like them trying to fit Japanese archival footage into new seasons of Power Rangers, um, but but they've they've continued going. They've continued it. It matched surprisingly well. Uh, too. Yeah, it, it's still going. I didn't going. even know as a kid. I, I know it's still ongoing because there was a 
like they they've like they there's always commentary online over what seasons they skip and what they keep or don't keep out of different seasons. But uh, both Super Sentai and Power Rangers are going strong, and and the uh, oh I had a point with this. Oh yeah, and and it, none of it would have happened either the rebirth of Ultraman or the continuation of Super Sentai without Marvel's involvement. Yeah, the uh, I mean the the. Japanese Spider-Man has gotten a bit of a revival in the last few years. Uh, he was featured in a crossover called uh, Into the Spider-Verse, where uh, his robot was a key part of defeating the bad guy. And uh, it, it's oh, very, right. very, it's very, very funny to watch a variety of Peter Parkers trying to figure out why are you dressed as me and why do you have a giant robot? <laughs> yeah, Leia Pardon was in. I think that was just the post-credit stinger where the uh like 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 Spider-Man uh, 3000 or whatever uh like has the Leopard on robot it's 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 different from the anime Spider-Girl for in the in the bulk of the movie but th- that movie's incredible it's Oh it's a brilliant film. Yeah it's it, like like visually it does it does things with textures like having different parts of the oh. f- foreground and background at different it's frame so rates to make it look like you're reading a moving comic it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah we just watched it not too long ago and it was so good. And uh and then speaking of that where I feel like uh I guess it was, wasn't really you, but it was misconstrued because I think you brought up Spider-Man recently in our Slack and then it was being thought that are we trying to make it a pitch for Spider-Man to be oh, right. there, which I know John would love to have. Yeah, um, we were talking about some materials for Spider-Man Miles Morales, which comes out soon. Right. Uh, mm-hmm. And I made a comment that the that the original one is basically an RPG, um, which which people didn't agree with and we, we didn't cover it when it came out in 2018. Amazingly, it had the same... It, I think it came out just a few days within the North American release date of Dragon Quest XI, which, again, was a, a, a time I remember very clearly. Which we did cover. Which we did cover. Yes. But, but Spider-Man has, it's an open-world game with a lot of exploration elements, a lot of equipment customization, and an experience system and a skill tree system. Which, yeah. And, and, and I, my, my argument was, we cover games like modern Assassin's Creed and modern Yakuza that have these things. Why not Spider-Man? I was saying it mostly facetiously. I, I knew we weren't going to cover it. But it, it, that was a discussion that we had, and I, and I think that, uh, and and to tie this back to um <laughs> to random encounter episode one, at one point Rob mentions that he's playing Warhammer 40k Dawn of War two, which yeah. is a, a, a sort of a squad based RTS that Rob passionately says is an RPG worth covering, and then later in the episode they mentioned that uh so that more and more non RPGs or genres that aren't RPGs are taking on RPG elements or even becoming RPGs. At using with, with the sort of main examples being Borderlands and Mass Effect. Yeah, that was yeah, the exactly. big conversation section. Yeah, in, yeah, in the in, the, in the second half of yeah, about. in the second half of the podcast, they break that up a lot. Mm-hmm. And we'll talk uh, about that. We it's that. interesting that you brought up Spider Man because I wanted to talk to you about that because <laughs> oh. in a way I agree with you, but in another way I I don't. So we'll talk about that in the second half. <laughs> sure. Like I I think it's probably safest to call Spider Man uh, again 2018 PS4 Spider Man an open world action game. But it yeah. has a lot of RPG elements in it that I think if you take a very broad definition of what an RPG is, it easily falls in that box. But I'm, mm-hmm. I, I don't feel passionate enough we'll about it to demand. De- yeah, I don't feel passionate enough to demand we cover it. Yes. Oh, I know. No, that's fair. Not being, but, we don't have an argument, but uh, we'll talk about it because it's it's yeah. a great example of the topic. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. But uh, rolling back to what are we playing currently? So yeah, <laughs> oh, the, right. the, the <laughs> well, Thirteen Sentinels sounds rad. <laughs> agreed. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm liking the look of it. Uh, and Fantasy Star 4, that was your first Fantasy Star, which I'm sure you talked about on Retro. Yeah, oh yeah, we talked about that on Retro for two episodes. Um, the It was my first Fantasy Star, the first Sega game that I... The first single-player Sega game that I've ever beaten, because I was never a Sega kid. 
Right. Uh, well, uh, well, okay. That's a lie. I, I've played... I've beaten a couple Dreamcast games, but that was the first Genesis game that I ever beat that was not okay. that was not a multiplayer fighter. Yeah. That's fair. Mm-hmm. The big Sega console. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jono, last episode we had you on, of course, uh, as I often do, <laughs> and you hadn't really played much of anything RPG-wise. Have you been able to dive into some review projects lately or something else, or are you still um, diving into Splunky 2 constantly? Oh, I'm still diving into Splunky 2, like, daily. <laughs> it's so freaking good. But I have actually done a few other things. Um... Uh, the one that's on the site right now is uh, Streets of Camarocho. So this is really cool. It's it's Sega's 60th anniversary. And in honor of their anniversary, they were releasing a bunch of like little bite-sized games on Steam. Uh, one of them, which caused a lot of controversy online, uh, called Golden Axed, which was a which was a canceled Oh, Golden yeah, I just game. saw that. Yeah, that, that was that, hilarious that, marketing. Yeah, that wasn't even a canceled game. It was a uh, It was a demo that executives demanded within two weeks and yeah. then and then it w- and then they sort of canceled it and shelved it and then brought it up without the input of the original creators it, it, it's that was a messed up story um but but streets of camarocha was developed in a better spirit yes it was it was developed in a spirit of uh i guess celebration of two of uh sega's uh most enduring and popular franchises which is yakuza and streets of rage um so what the game is it, it, it's free to, it was free to download. It's not anymore because it's the 19th and this is going to be airing considerably after that. Um, it's a reskin of Streets of Rage 2's first level, but using uh, Kiryu and Majima in place of the other characters. And the entire level is reskinned. It's Camaro Cho, so it's a 16-bit version. Uh, they have a 16-bit version of the uh, of the, the battle theme from it. It's... It, it plays, it looks just like if Yakuza was on the Sega Genesis. If the first Yakuza was on Sega Genesis, that's what this would be. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was free to download. I downloaded it. It is in no way, shape, or form an RPG. But I was going to say, it, is it? But it covers our adjacent policy. It's adjacent, and it's kind of the same thing as we we covered, like, Circle of the Moon, because it's bloodstained, yeah. but it's yeah. that's a that's a traditional classical you mean, you mean, you mean, game. No, you mean Curse of the Moon. Circle of the Moon is, is oh, a... Oh, of G- course, it, it, is, yes. it is a Castlevania game. Yeah, Circle game. of the Moon is a Castlevania game. Curse of the Moon is a non-RPG, bloodstained adjacent game. Yes, and <laughs> uh, yes. it's basically a Castlevania game for NES. Um, but this is, you know, it, there is no R- there are no RPG elements in it, uh... And it's, it's pretty limited, I'm not going to lie. I gave it a good review, I gave it an 80, because it's free, it's 20 minutes, and if you like Streets of Rage or Yakuza, you'll have a really, really good time with it, because you get to see uh, like tons of references throughout, it gives it a new skin. And frankly speaking, it played as a concept, as a as a, a demo, almost, for a uh, an actual 16-bit Yakuza game. And while I was playing it, I was like, wow, this fits really well. I mean, of course it fits really well because Yakuza was born out of that uh, tradition. But it was yeah, a lot like, of... Yeah, it's like River City Ransom kind of naturally evolved into Yakuza, I feel like. It's kind of yeah, the same it... vibe of the beat-em-up bit of RPG elements, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, I was playing it and I was just thinking, wow, if they like took some of the RPG elements that was featured in Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, for example, and they yes. put it into this and they used, they used a very similar... Uh, uh, template as the Streets of Rage, Streets of Rage Two specifically. I think they could have a real, a real retro hit here. Um, this is almost the version we would see if, um, again, like you would see the console version, which would be the Yakuza series, and then this would be like the Game Gear version or the Game yeah. Boy version. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a really, really good D make. Um, 
and the, the mechanics are really, really strong because it's Streets of Rage 2, so it doesn't feel like a fly-by-night. It controls well. I, I mean, it controls exactly like the original. So I... Sega released it as a limited time. You can download it for two days, and that's it. We're taking it off Steam. I have a suspicion that's not going to be forever, because it was a lot of fun, and again, it's. I think I feel like it was a proof of concept, and I think that it could be spun off into a full-length game. Whether or not it will be is another question, but holy crap, it was a, it was a fun time. I sat down with my girlfriend. I was she is she does not play beat 'em ups at all, and. Uh, she died within the first like 30 seconds and then she was like let's reset and try that again and then she was great at it <laughs> That's um good. yeah and we played it for like 20 minutes and got through the first level and i was like oh this is awesome i can't wait to see what happens next and then the beginning of the level popped up again with round two under it and i was like oh it's just the first level but bummer. yeah that was a bit of a bummer but as it was it's free i could not possibly complain about it if it That's was fair. terrible yeah if it was terrible i just wouldn't have reviewed it but I played it and I was like, you know what, this is worthy of a little mention, especially considering that Yakuza uh, uh, 7 is coming out in about three weeks? A little under a month. As so, of this recording, yeah. As of this recording. So it's going to be a, uh, it was a nice little taste for that. It got you in the mood. Yeah, I, I don't, I doubt this would be made into a full game, but it's the kind of thing that you could see them include in a package of a bunch of other Sega games. Like, they, like yeah. it, they're not just going to let it die forever after a two-day release window. But or you the, like uh, go into the arcade in a future Kiwami game, uh, Yakuza game, and you can like play this. Yeah, exactly. Of the arcade. <laughs> yeah. Um. I mean, there was four '80s arcade games in Yakuza Zero, and I think in Yakuza, in several Yakuza games, there's just uh, I, th- I think in I think it's in six and seven, there's just full Virtua Fighter Five, like a, a full PS3 game inside a PS4 game. Mm-hmm. Um. So like like the, uh. This being in a Yakuza Future Arcade is is also a likely destination, I think. Like, I don't think it's gone forever, but it was a very cool moment for Sega to do that on a big anniversary year. I agree with you, yeah. though. I think I think that would be a perfect place for it, because, I mean, in uh, Judgment, they did Camaro of the Dead, which was a, <laughs> a, a, a on-rails remake of, uh, of uh, Yakuza Dead Souls, and it was like a full, it was a full style, like, if you had a light gun, it would have been perfect for it. So yeah, I can see... I could see them putting it in again and just being like, this is based on the legendary tale of the dragon of Dojima. Yeah, they adapted Yakuza Dead Souls into a House of the Dead rails shooter. Mm-hmm. Oh, neat. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun. Um, yeah, I, I agree with you. I don't think I don't think this is going to lie dead. I think it's just too cool an idea, and it's a nice little piece of work. They'll put it in something else. So that wasn't an RPG. The RPG I've been playing lately uh, is an oldie, but a goodie. Uh, Divinity Original Sin. Oh, nice. Mm. I've always been curious about that one. Because uh, yeah. Steve Meyerink always spoke super high of it. Yeah, Amanda, uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, she started getting really into D&D, playing D&D online with her friends. And uh, she was playing two two RPGs uh, on Zoom. And uh, they went on break a few weeks ago for a number of reasons. But she hasn't been able to play them. So I was like, hey, you know what we could do? We th- This game features uh, co-op. So why don't you go on the couch and I'll go on my computer and we can just like yell at each other from across the uh, condo <laughs> and uh, play this play this RPG together that's based on the it's not based on Dragon Quest but it uses the D twenty system or a variation upon it anyway. Uh, Dungeon Dragons, you mean? Yeah. So oh. that's what did I say? You, you said, said Dragon, Dragon Quest. Quest. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's nothing like Dragon Quest. Yeah, Yakuza yeah, Seven. Like, Yakuza Seven, a little bit like Dragon Quest. A bit uh, like... D- Divinity and Original Sin, considerably less like Dragon Quest. Yes, it's not <laughs> like a. Dra- it is not like a dragon. Um, 
but yeah, so we've been playing through that. We are not tremendously far in it. We've been playing it like hour a night or so. Uh, and we're, st you know, we're just, we've just left the town. We've completed all the, all the mini quests in the uh, first town. And uh, we're having a real blast with it. It's, it's fun. It's a genuine role-playing game. Like you create your characters. Uh, you can talk between your characters. You can choose uh, which, you know, the dialogue options. If you have a disagreement, it goes into this little uh, rock, paper, scissors, scissors mini game to see who wins and which, which, uh, Choice oh, like make. if the two of you disagree on like a specific choice in a conversation chain kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. So if it's oh, like, cool. I want to dig up this grave and the other person doesn't want to dig up this grave, you can have a rock, paper, scissors session oh, to determine whether you dig up this grave. Um, yeah, and it's it's great. I mean, it still looks good. It doesn't look brilliant because it is a eight-year-old game at this point. I think it came out in 2012. Yeah, it's getting there, isn't it? it yeah. Yeah, and it, it's very, very good. Um, what I've heard about the series is that Original Sin is a great RPG. Uh, uh, Original Sin 2 is one of the greatest RPGs ever made. So I'm going to be excited to get to that eventually. But as of now, we're, we're just playing it for like an hour, hour and two hours a night. Uh, like she it. plays it on her uh, computer. I play it on mine. And we just yell at each other uh, to figure out what to do. And we're having yeah, a really great time That'd be something I'd be interested it. in checking out with you as well. I played Divinity Sin, uh, Divinity Original Sin 2 at mm -hmm. PAX 20... 18 i want to say yes um, i want to say it was when i played it but uh, uh with annette we tried it out but it wasn't for her um mm. she kept finding she wanted it mechanically to be a lot more like warcraft and they kept throwing her off that it wasn't mm -hmm. and so she because that was where her experience with a lot of that stuff came from at that point was with world of warcraft and she was like it's not handling the same uh i can't get it i don't like the way the the viewpoints control i'm out <laughs> i was like oh, i'm because it would have been I fun to, to play with I can relate with that because uh, years and years and years ago when I first, like the first time I played that kind of RPG, I was playing it and I was like, wow, this looks just like Diablo. And it's not. But... It, yeah, it handles... I think I was more used to it because like it handles like Dungeon Siege, which I had mm -hmm. gone through. Uh, Dungeon, Siege, Dungeon Siege 2, actually, is when I started on. and So I guess I'd gotten used to it. But yeah, it, it's, it's almost... I was expecting, I guess, to play more like Diablo or like isometric, like Baldur's Gate and such, and then mm -hmm. finding the freedom of movement around the character... I could see how it could throw things off a bit, and I don't know. Well, well, I'm super excited because this is a genre that I've been wanting to get into for a few years now, and it turns out the the push I needed to get into it was uh, playing it with my partner. So yeah, we have uh, Divinity Original Sin One, we have Original Sin Two, and even though they're not co-op, we could still technically play uh, a number of others, uh, uh, another other couple of others, like Baldur's Gate Three comes out. Uh, or I guess it's in early access already now. So yeah, that might by, be by a the same by the same developer. Yeah. So I, I it's kind of and yeah, there's torch torchlight you can do two players well, and it's slightly different but still kind yeah, of the same. Well, okay, torchlight three just came out, but torchlight two yep. and three are definitely more like Diablo. While mm. Divinity, yeah. while Original Sin one and two are definitely more like old Infinity Engine games. Um, but yeah, you're right. Uh, yeah, Jono, maybe this is more true of Original Sin two than one. But one thing I heard a lot about the co-op in that game was the interactive systems. Like, uh, like, let's say you're both playing mage characters. One one character can, you know, cast a water spell. The other one can cast a lightning spell. And then there's, mm -hmm. and then it, it will vary, in a connected way, electrocute where the where the two spells meet. And there's, like, dozens of examples of inter of uh, of combat and action interactivity like that. And, and again, maybe this is more true of of uh, DS two than DS one. But are, are you sounds like, a lot better than the uh, the way they tried to do that in 
Crystal Chronicles, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I believe it. But have, have you gotten any like interesting gameplay combos with your characters like that? Yeah, actually, we uh, we uh, picked a fight with some orcs, which we they were way out of our level, and we there were five of them. As one and does. Yeah, we were we were uh, me and her are level three, and we have a companion who's level three as well, and she can summon summon a spider. But we're all they were all level five and six. Uh, and we were like, why don't we really plan this out and figure out what's going on? So we examined the, the area and there were a couple of oil barrels around and I have a teleportation spell. So I, I took the oil barrel and I dumped it and it broke open and covered a lot of them in, uh, oil. And then, uh, Amanda shot a fire arrow at them and, uh, set them all on fire. Yep. Dig it. Sounds about right. Yep. And, and the uh, spider charged into the fire. Actually. Yeah. The spider did charge into the fire. And we're like, <laughs> oh, that was so stupid. So stupid. Um, but yeah, so we won the battle, and we were like, this is awesome, and we feel invincible, and then we went to pick another battle and got our asses handed to us in, like, five <laughs> oh, minutes. No. So, uh, yeah, there's if you are smart about it, a lot like Dungeons & Dragons, you can kind of come up with plans and uh, unconventional ways of winning fights that you really shouldn't be able to. But can um, be rewarded for your ingenuity. Yeah, I mean, we get a ton of experience from it. Nice. And some good items. So yeah, yeah, we're gonna. Stephen already always loved talking about that. It's possible where you were hearing that from as well. Mm. Uh, so we'll see. I believe. Yeah. I believe. Well, well, well I mean, I, I, well, I've heard about it on several other podcasts, and and gotcha. I just read a lot of game news stuff in general. But but Stephen did well, has been very vocal about how much he loves both of those, and I think he also played with his wife, um, similar to how you're playing with your girlfriend, Jono. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I'm really enjoying it. I mean, it is a bit of an old game, but it doesn't feel old. I mean, it's it's a good RPG. Is a good RPG is a good RPG, and the mechanics don't feel uh, dated or anything like that. The interaction nice. systems for fighting is is great. Well, it's not uh, that old. It came out less than five years ago. Did it? I thought it came out in, like, 20, 2013 or 2014. I remember it was a big Kickstarter thing. It was one of the earlier, like, huge Kickstarter revivals back in the day. 2014. Being a big deal. 2014, 20, okay. 2014, yeah. So it was announced in 20, mm-hmm. uh, 2012 and then came out in 2014. Oh, wait, no, sorry. It was announced in 2013, and it was Kickstarter, and they raised, uh, let's see, they raised almost $950,000 with other donations from other sources, bringing it to over a million dollars of the game's final budget yeah. of 4 million euros. Yeah, 2013's really Kickstarter heyday, and they, they were basically making the, uh, pitching it as a and d inspired game from the makers of... Uh, divine divinity and the and uh sort of the previous divinity games but it was it, this is yeah. definitely a crowdfunding success story yeah and it it spun off into uh i mean this is a great game but then in 2018 it spun off into one of the apparently best rpgs of all time which is original sin 2 and i haven't played it so i can't definitively say that but i will at some point but can you definitively say that? I can definitively say that. We'll see what happens in 2021. Oh, episode 200 is going to be my last. <laughs> oh, no. With the, no, with this kind of material, we can easily get to 400. Just keep churning out the puns. It's okay, Mike. We, we like good hosts, so you're always welcome. Um, I do what remember, you, too, that Stephen was always trying to like get Rob to play it as well. And I can't remember if he yes. ever actually succeeded, though. Um, I feel like he did, and that, but Rob bounced off it. I cannot remember. I think that's about right. I, I think he did get Rob to play it, and Rob liked it, but then got frustrated with uh, some unbalanced enemies and gave up. And yeah. Stephen called him a and Stephen called him a wuss because Stephen plays every game on the highest difficulty. <laughs> yes, he does. Uh, and then he gets mad when a game is too hard, and I'm like, Stephen, why are you doing this to yourself? And uh, yeah, that, that we've had that circular conversation at Magfest before, <laughs> no doubt. Hmm. Uh, what for myself, you, Greg? you were Have asking, you been yeah. 
I have been. Uh, I mean, I wrapped up things on Star Renegades, um, kind of was, uh, which I talked about last episode. And then uh, I've picked up Torchlight 3 for review, considering um, you just brought it up, Mike. Um, it's, it is very, still very much like Diablo inspired, but also this one feels like a simpler version in a lot of ways, which took me off guard, which I, I, I kind of like, because like, obviously they needed to shake things up in some ways, so it wasn't just being Torchlight 1, Torchlight 2, which was just a clone of Diablo 2. I haven't played Diablo 3, so I don't know if Torchlight 3 is in any way, shape, or form <laughs> similar to Diablo 3. Mm, but doesn't sound like it. No, not really. Like similar as to how all games in that genre are similar, but no, right. it's, it, it's, it's not like Diablo three. Yeah. Mechanically, the foundations don't seem the same. It's, it's still very much torchlight. Like you have your four classes, you can pick off the top and they have their own skill trees and everything. And that, it's, at that point, that's where the customization aspect of the classes themselves mostly ends. Aside from that, any sort of um, finagling you can do with stats and abilities comes from yeah growing your skill tree with, as you level up and the equipment you find so it's still very much a loot hack with you just trying to find the best gear and just one more monster raid and hoping you get the best next best thing to make your character stand out that much more amongst the rest but it's um the, you don't have like the ability point assignment or anything like you used to have in torchlight 2 and in diablo 2 and such uh your character just levels up and does its thing and grows exponentially and then you get to modify where you want to put your skill points and that's basically it as when it comes to customizing in that regard but they did add a lot more pets so i mean you have three Ooh. new choices you still can have a good very good boy and you can also have a, a very good owl and you can have a very good uh john tucker which is i i named my alpaca tucker because i just could not oh um yeah because john tucker goes and visits an alpaca farm very often for those who don't know on the podcast uh have you told him yet i haven't mentioned it to him yet no i was going to show him a <laughs> screenshot at some point my uh my alpaca named tooker i figure he'll be very amused by it <laughs> you should include and it in the show notes exactly yeah I, I probably will yeah that's a good idea and then uh you can unlock new pets though which is the new thing that's really nice because the original one you could feed them food that would kind of change them into monsters uh, mm-hmm. or not the original. I can't remember if that was in the first one, but Torchlight 2 is the one I spent the most time with. It's in, it, 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 fish. Yeah, it's, it's in both of them, but it's way more expanded in Torchlight 2. Gotcha. Thank you. Uh, yeah, and you can... Yeah, they'll change into monsters. This one, I haven't run into that yet where you can feed them anything, but you can unlock new pets through certain um, boss encounters and such. You'll free a pet or you'll find some... Uh, they, they can be a random drop or something you can find. And then you have the option uh, eventually that you can swap your pets out so as you unlock find new pets and such you learn i think i haven't confirmed because i haven't played it a ton yet but it seems like when you find a new pet the it comes with a new skill that all your pets then automatically know and then basically you can just swap them out to change the skin of the pet it doesn't seem to affect their stats or anything so it's kind of nice that if you're bored of the pet that you have then you can swap out i mean in torchlight 2 i had a ferret because what, what else are you supposed to choose and uh the bulldog obviously time pardon the bulldog obviously (laughs) uh that's fair that's a very good competitor actually and in this one yeah you just have the the retriever the owl and the alpaca which i would have been fine if i was stuck with an alpaca for the rest of the game but it is kind of nice to know that i can swap over to like a little like impish demon or some other creature that i find along the way Um, but yeah it it, it sounds like that um the pet form isn't is a aesthetic choice in torchlight 3 well, in Torchlight yeah. Two, well, in Torchlight Two, you couldn't freely switch them around unless unless you uh, permanently transformed them 
or temporarily transform them by feeding yeah. them fish. But uh, th th that's cool. Um, I, I thought the, the classes at least looked neat in Torchlight 3. I've watched some videos and read some articles, but I haven't played it yet. And uh, and I was a huge yeah I was a huge fan of the first two so I'm at least interested in this one a little bit but it's it had a weird troubled development history it was going to be an MMO called Torchlight Frontier then yeah, Runic, Ga I then I Runic that. Games okay, that didn't just yeah, get thrown out the, yeah the, the, then Runic Games the studio that made Torchlight one and two and another exploration game called Hob uh, um, broke apart and folded in either late 2019 or early 2020. So uh, and and uh, Perfect World, the, the Chinese conglomerate that um, that ran Runic Games, like basically got a new team together with some former Runic people to finish Torchlight Three, and make it a standalone co-op RPG instead of an MMO. So like all of that was really troubling, and its alpha and beta periods were not really they, they didn't run very well. But the, this final version appears to run better than the beta, but is uh, maybe. And at least has some fun gameplay ideas, but I don't know if it's as special as Torchlight 2 felt, you know, seven it, years it ago. It doesn't. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's definitely lacking some amount of the magic, and maybe that is just, like, the the lack of customization, the lack of making the characters your own. Because, like, I had, um, in Torchlight 2, I went through it as the the, the, the hammer users, the big, like, the guys are engineer. Big, like, wrenches and the guns. Yep, engine, uh, that's that's the engineer class. They had yes. big smashy attacks, some uh, some robot and attacks, and some and, and some shield and cannon stuff, yeah. That, that's probably yeah. my favorite class. It was a lot of fun, and I definitely went more uh, smashy route with a few little, like, side helper bots. Because, yeah, just like in Diablo 2 and Diablo 1, uh, more so, I guess, Diablo 2, which has kind of really laid that foundation, and Torchlight 1 and 2 aped on you could really yeah have a very dynamically different approach to your class depending on but which skill trees you decide to go in. You are a maniac if you do an engineer with no heal bot because that heal bot is crucial for every yeah. single every single engineer build I can possibly think of. It's like why wouldn't I put 15 points into a heal bot? Like yeah, I don't yeah, what are you doing? Yeah, it was it's definitely in there. And they have um uh what are they called the uh, Rail something I can't remember what they're called, but they, they kind of have like an engineer esque rail class yeah, in this one again. Yeah, yeah, it's called Railmaster, and it is a Thank lot like an guess. engineer. But they also but they also a weird, can, like, like summon train or something. Yeah, you, you, yeah, you summon a train and like continuously lay track for the train to go down, and you can put the turrets on the train and and have a yeah. shield go around the train. It's 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 interesting, but uh, it's like a really Rick and neat Morty. gimmick. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, it seems like a really neat gimmicky class. I haven't played that one because I'd want to do something much more different. And then there was the one where you are straight up just a robot. Um, yeah, that's, that's called slash I think, and dice that's either, yeah, it's either a forge or forged, but it's 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 forged a robot it, that you, yeah. that you just attach a bunch of weapons to. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you just that's your hack and slasher. Um, the ones I have tried was the the sharpshooter, I believe, is the other one. Yep. Um, and I'm liking that one. That's kind of my main. And then I did a bit of a run as the. Um, Dusk Mage. Uh, Dusk Mage, mm -hmm. thank you. I was like, it's a time of day mage. <laughs> I can't think of it. It's a Dell Mage now. Yeah, the Dusk Mage, which is neat. Uh, I like its its inherent um, like weapon that it has, where it's like this big giant like attachment arm thing that it gets, made out of various materials, but it it attacks with this big like sweeping magical claw attack. So it's really neat to kind of do this neat splash damage melee thing, but still kind of keep you a bit out of reach as a mage. So I like that aspect. And the um, the sort of yin yang aspect of um, you have like your your light spells and your dark spells, and as you cast them both, it charges. Uh, and then when they finally meet in the middle, you kind of get this like period of sort of like super saiyanism, where everything's kind of amplified a bit for you for a while, and then it recedes, and then you recharge it by casting spells from either side, kind of thing. 
Yeah, so it reminds kinda... me. It reminds me of Final Fantasy XIV Red Mage, where like I, I think in Torchlight Three, the Dusk Mage has the, the shadow attacks are more melee and more and more area of effect, while the light attacks are more range and more yeah. and more like single target. But yeah. but if you sort of if you keep a balance of light and dark, you sort of build up a meter that lets you do something really kick ass, which is kind of like the FF14 Red Mage. But uh, that's cool. I like that. But you know, um, you know, it, 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 those two games are different vibes. Sure. Are. But that's a really cool approach to that class because I again I look I don't know near as much about fourteen as you do, but red mages have always been fascinating to me since FF one. That's why I like the direction that they took with that. They have a neat mm. hat. They do. <laughs> they, they, they need hat and some, some very very stylish taunts where you can even pop your collar at an enemy. It's like FF fourteen. It's its own weird thing. <laughs> <laughs> and then the sharpshooter, uh, instead of having mana for a lot of their abilities, they have ammunition, um, and which is cool because. Even if you aren't equipping a bow, you can still use those abilities. Because I was kind of worried. I was like, my pigeonhole, I can only use a bow if I want to. Because I found like a really good pistol that was better than my bow. And it doesn't just convert to being like, instead of using arrows, you use uh, the pistol. It just magically swaps in a bow for you. Uh, so that's fine. It doesn't mean that you can't also be a sword-swinging sharpshooter if you wanted. So that's kind of neat. Like the, the, They give the characters a lot of flexibility within their their class in terms of like you want to be a, a sword boy with your dusk mage then go do that you don't have to use their just their their totems and their um their claws and stuff you can do whatever you want and still cast the magic spells and that's just fine and the same thing as the sharpshooter and presumably for the others but uh yeah like i said that's basically where the customization of the classes ends is you got three different uh skill windows one two of them are the, for the class themselves and then one of them is you choose one of four relics that um you kind of put points into and unlock and uh they will just again give you different abilities like one's a bunch of like poisonous centric stuff and you can summon these poisonous spiders and uh ghostly like little goblins and stuff like that and more of a minion kind of generation thing and then uh one of them is that's like a blood chalice thing or something where you basically regain health for using those abilities and damaging people uh and stuff like that and then there's also this Oh, I can't remember the last thing is. There's like this epic tier thing that unlocks every... I can't remember if it's level-centric. Um, I don't have my notes. But um, yeah, you get these unlocks as well that will give you a permanent perk bonus that you can pick. to be like, you move faster when you use certain types of these skills. Or you'll get more um, gold from enemies, but they unlock at certain milestones. Hmm. So all that's kind of neat. Uh, in terms of character development. But then the other thing they added in this one after the initial first few quests is you get a fort that you can customize. So it becomes uh, kind of roguelike-ish. Not so much that like you're always dying and coming back to this spot, but you have your, your fort that you can build up to add more benefits to you. So you can collect resources and such in the map that will help you build different atta- um, different buildings and upgrades. And then you can also like That's smelt nice things to make different stuff if you built the smelter and refine different element um, minerals and materials and such. So they have this whole kind of like sort of light crafting system and you can it's pretty robust like how much you can customize the fort because it comes as is. But you can tear everything out and just completely remodel it as you want. So to make it your own. I haven't done much of that myself, but that's also where you can build like your little pet house. You can swap out your pets. There's these statues that will that you can build if you unlock them to get different um, wardrobe for your character classes and stuff. So that's kind of neat. I'm looking forward to exploring that a lot more. 
I wonder how in-depth it is, because I know that a lot of people, like Fallout 76, one of their, one of the big features is being able to build up your own, your player home, and like people can see it and that kind of thing. But I wonder if there's, uh, I wonder how deep it goes, and if at some point YouTube videos will like feature the homes. Yeah, I don't know. Take either, a tour. I haven't played um, multiplayer, so I'm not sure like if it's a, because it seems like a place you can visit and you can have people just walk in and out of, so presumably but, I mean multiplayer that can happen. But, well, but I mean, but when you enter multiplayer spheres in Torchlight, you, it sort of just creates an instance. And and uh, when yeah. you go, like when you go into town, wouldn't your your house and the other player's house occupy the same space? Or are there like a, is there like a chessboard of places it's, that it could be? It's um, I'm not sure because it's it, it's its own thing. It's like it's its own town, so to speak. It's not even like a house that you have. You hmm. you basically one of the quests takes you to this fort that's just off the path. So it's it's along like the map route because it um, like like with Diablo and Torchlight, like everything is kind of connected, even though the maps themselves are randomly generated in their way. It's all connected. So mm. you can walk from point A to point B if you really wanted to without using town portals. But that's all still there with the waypoints and everything. And so this is just one of those places off the beaten path along the where the route. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure if it's whoever hosts that's it's their instance and then you can go into theirs or if it's its own thing and you can't go into either i'm not certain hmm. but yeah they definitely don't occupy the same house like if you were having multiplayer in skyrim for example kind of thing um okay. yeah i don't know but i'm looking forward like i said to exploring more of that and then they have um like you get obviously your quests that are kind of never ending and like in torchlight you kind of you get shown the rewards you're going to get and you and kind of can choose like i want the helmet or i want the the weapon or whatever so that all stuff is still there but then they have these other ongoing quests uh in the background um that you can swap between that you slowly accrue points into and it just unlocks bigger things so it'll be like the level one unlock will be just like a ton of loot level two will be like one of those statues that you can now have the blueprints for and build in your fort level three will be um uh, like you'll do more damage with fire and ice weapons and stuff like that. And you can kind of select, they're all kind of themed, like one's an explorer pack. So it's more towards like the adventuring in, whereas one's the, um, not the homemaker, but it's something very similar to that, where it's definitely geared towards like the fort development. So you get bonuses for the materials and get some free materials and stuff like that. So hmm. they've got a lot of like, it almost felt like these now knowing the, the history of, um, the frontiers aspect it feels like they're kind of holdovers from like the the free-to-play-ish the freemium model of like those would have been like your daily quests and stuff like that you know what i mean yeah yeah and again this was an mmo and possibly a free-to-play mmo at one point during development yeah so it feels like those kind of systems are a bit of a holdover and also i guess maybe explains why some of the the growth mechanics are a bit more simplified hmm. it sounds like you're still having fun with it though i am yeah it's it's very easy to get sucked into uh, and uh, and it's it's got all like the charm and the flash of the the first two where you can see obviously the inspiration of Diablo but like it has its very own style where it's much more colorful and vibrant characters are much more cartoony uh, yeah, so far the voice acting is solid it's steampunk and not gothic and let and yeah. let it be known I am shocked that a Diablo inspired game could uh, gives you a sort of one more click one more encounter kind of. <laughs> uh get kind of you know addictability shocked i say yes i'm sure uh and the, now that we're doing this on a video podcast we'll have the evidence of seeing that shocked face oh yeah i i am just 
it's not like I've listened to thousands of hours of podcasts while playing Diablo <laughs> games before, yeah. right? Or, or or Torchlight games. I, I put some hard time into Torchlight 2, especially. I, thought about, I had a lot I of fun was... with it. I beat it. It was a good game. Mm-hmm. Oh, no, it is good. I, I got a... I got a character to veteran and into a level in the low 80s, but then nice. when I unlocked when I unlocked new game plus plus the like zone one was kicking my ass and that was that was my torchlight two ceiling. That's mm. fair. Mm. It's funny. I was actually that, right? uh, when we when we were talking about who's going to review it, I was thinking about doing it because it's been a long, long time since I played a good a good old fashioned like Diablo style. Uh, okay, just one more click, just one more click. I think the last one I played was mm. Path of Exile a few years ago. Path of Exile oh, is still yeah. going strong. They oh, yeah. still update that thing. Oh, yeah. it's great. It's really great. At least it was when I played it. It came out in 2013. I'm trying to think of the last really good one I played. It it might be Torchlight. Well, okay, I played a lot of Diablo two, uh, Diablo 3 in the 2013-2016 range. So it, it, it was, my heyday of that was the last time I really got into one deep. Hmm. And I can't remember at the site we had one of our newer folks. Is it Quentin or Isaac? One of them is super into Diablo 3 and they're, like, they're on leaderboards and stuff with it. Like very competitively, I forget who it is now. They can scream mm. at me later in mail mm. or on Slack uh, for mm. forgetting who it was. But uh, yeah, I just yeah again all that stuff. It's it's a very easy thing to stick with and get lost in. And I guess we're starting to get to the point where wasn't there? Yeah, we we just got like a tease that uh, that uh, Diablo Four is coming. So that's yeah we've works, got a so. yeah we've got a uh, a teaser trailer with like a cinematic yeah. in it. I think we just mentioned that. Podcasts. That was that was that was about a I mean that was about a year ago when we got that one but they, but they they, rele- they they released some more information on it that probably would have t- happened in BlizzCon 2020 right. but that uh but that never but that's passed so uh there's still a lot of stuff behind the curtain we know that it's going to have five classes but we only know about I think the first three um but they uh, barbarian sorceress and druid which were all in Diablo 2 mm-hmm. but uh druids are rad. yeah it lo- yeah, it looks cool. It looks like they're going for more gothic horror and less arcadey action than Di- what Diablo Three was. And um, for you Diablo story buffs, the at least the central conflict at the beginning is centered around Lilith, who was a Diablo Two super boss, who is allegedly the mother of the uh, of the primeval major bosses from Diablo uh, Two and Three. So it's no, no. They, so they're definitely they're going into a piece of Diablo lore that people are aware of, but is but is largely unexplored. So uh, it's it looks cool, um, but they're still mostly playing their cards close to the chest. I don't think this yeah. game is coming out in 2021 even. I don't think so either. And I mean, a lot of the enthusiasm for the game was dampened at the time because of the Blizzard uh, Hong Kong controversy. Yeah, I don't think I don't think that's, yeah, the, I don't think a lot of that's faded yet. It's, it's surprising no, the, because the, Diablo the, Four should be a much more excite like there should be more people excited for this game than there are. Yeah, that was um I mean that was also late 2019 uh controversy around um the suspension of a couple uh big I think they were Hearthstone streamers. Yeah. They, they, yeah. they might they might have been Overwatch streamers. But uh basically Blizzard sided with the Chinese government and not and not uh and and not protesters of the situation going on in Hong Kong at the time and that got a lot of people very upset so Blizzard sort of quieted down and hope and hoped it would all blow over but it really yeah. hasn't <laughs> it hasn't blown over in the Blizzard I mean, uh, anyways yeah it's it's, it's dumb it, your thing there it's cooled slightly but i think it's still in the back of mind for a lot of gamers and a lot of mm, people yeah. like they they well, did the, not handle the whole this well still obviously very relevant look just yeah. happened yeah, with and, Genshin impact right 
Yeah. Well, of. sort of. I mean, I mean, Genshin Impact is by a independent developer in China, and certain uh, certain words connected to Hong Kong and Taiwan are completely banned in in Genshin Impact. So yeah, Genshin Impact is an ex an extremely popular um, indie RPG right now that is uh, uh, has gacha elements and is similar to Breath of the Wild and how action takes place. Hugely popular right now. I'm, I avoid gacha, so I haven't been playing it. But a lot of people were turned off by it because of its connection to to China, it has a lot of banned yeah. language in it, which is which which is a which again is the price that those developers have to pay to live and work in China, but is also you know a very important issue to a lot of people. Yeah, exactly. It's a yeah, and you gotta pick your battles, I suppose, if they want to make it or not. But yeah, it's yeah. an unfortunate position to be in, but also they made a choice, so other people are gonna make choices based on that, right? So. Mm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, that's basically what I've been playing. Uh, more Torchlight. Yeah. It's good. I'm excited to play some more of it. I just haven't cool. had the time. But um, looking back quickly before we move on to um, bigger topics, just uh, the stuff that was discussed 10 years ago, stuff that was topical um, <laughs> or not. I mean, it wasn't even stuff that was recently out because at this point, a lot of the, the, the talk on the episode was around like Final Fantasy 13 had just kind of, I think was the big thing from Square Enix at that mm -hmm. point. I think, I think that... 13.2 had been announced yeah but they were but they were most there was a lot of 13 disappointment talk in the in the episode it sure was mm -hmm. so um naturally uh they were talking about final fantasy 9 i think was the first thing that was covered that was uh uh who was talking about was that no zach was residents of fate who was playing no no um, uh, um uh, kyle was playing kyle final was fantasy playing 9. thank you mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah the, the panelists um, the panelists were rob steinman dennis rubenstein zachary pinchick and kyle miller thank you there we are and uh, yeah, so Rob proposed uh, posed the question of what people are playing. Kyle's playing FF9. And uh, one question I did want to ask both of you what came out of that one, uh, on the assumption you've played every, all of them, what was your favorite PS era Final Fantasy? Final Fantasy I feel like nine. I know what the answer is. Nine. Uh, I think I really liked all of them in the moment, but now that I have 20 years of separation, it's definitely nine. Yeah. It's a hard one to beat because it really brings everything together really nicely. And I... I feel like my nostalgia keeps me really tethered to seven, but I have to admit that nine is the better game. But I still think I, I, think, I have a lot more love um, for seven. I think I have the most love for the SNES era of Final Fantasy games, right. and nine and nine brought like the visuals and presentation of the PS one era with more, uh, but more rooted in the traditionalism of the SNES era. And 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 I was frustrated by certain gameplay parts of eight and nine making sort of a return to form with a bunch of modern stuff and mm -hmm. a really lovely story. Yeah. Uh, like, like, again, when I played yeah, seven through nine. Yeah, I played seven through nine within a couple of years after each of them came out, and I liked all of them, but with the benefit of hindsight, it's nine. It's, That's I think not, I think one of the reasons nine is so popular is it, it took everything that Final Fantasy was known for in both the SNES era and the PS, uh, uh, PlayStation 1 era, and it, it was a culmination of all of it. Like, it used... It used every lesson they learned from the uh, from seven and eight, with you know creating a three D space, creating beautiful backgrounds, uh, the cinematics. You know, back in the day, no one did cinematics like uh, Square. Um, and then they also took the strength of the story of the crystals of mages, of, and they put that in there, and they brought it back to yeah. where it started out. Um, Which you could argue then, was possibly too safe a bet, and I think that was something that I think was held against it a little bit at the time, but also a lot of fans wanted that. Yeah, there was a lot of back in those back in that age. There was a lot of blowback against anything that was not um, super dark and super like angry and stuff. I mean, you saw that with Zelda, for example. Yeah, Poor people were yeah people yeah. really upset with uh with 
you know, Link looking like the elf that wants to be a dentist in uh, in Wind Waker. Zelda. Yeah, but the. <laughs> Uh, but but again, with the benefit of hindsight, I think that Wind Waker probably has more fans than fan, than uh, Twilight Princess does. Yeah. Um, don't ca- don't come at me, Peter. <laughs> yeah, but um, I don't I don't I think Twilight Princess is sort of below average for Zelda, uh, yeah. other than a couple of the dungeons. But but any but anyway, um, one point that they were making in Episode One was that how Final Fantasy is always Square's experimental series. Yeah, how like seven seven and eight were. A lot unlike their predecessors, and nine did make uh, did make a lot of references to crystals and like classes of FF one and things, but really isn't doesn't play or feel like any other FF game that came before necessarily. No. Well, and, they never uh, got and the fourth player. Right, right, right. They, they brought back a, a a fourth party member. Yeah. And um and but then they went back down to three and ten. But like 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 ten, twelve, thirteen are all very different looking, different feeling games, even though they're in the. Yeah. Uh, flagship franchise of Square Enix, while Dragon Quest games, like for better or for worse, will always at least feel like a Dragon Quest game. So, like, like the That's experimentalism true. of Final Fantasy is something that they were bringing up a lot, and uh, they had a lot of positive things to say about FF9 and probably also 10. But uh, Rob is not a fan of FF12 or 13, and made it abundantly or clear eight. in this episode. Or eight, yes, yeah, maybe, maybe eight. Maybe eight had the most hate. He even well, said that eight. That eight ha- had a uh, was perceived as being a favorite, which I was. He, he said there was a love fest for FF eight, and I don't even re- I don't really remember that. But not anymore. Think, but, we yeah. had that uh, as the coin that I I can only think it was uh, was termed by Rob. Uh, was coined by Rob was um, the revisionist history thing that he used. He mentioned a lot in the podcasts. I don't even think we'd hit that point yet with eight, where yeah, there was a big revisionist history of like now we yeah, all I, love I, it. I, I mean, think I think, I think people were coming around to certain aspects of it, but it certainly well, wasn't a I love mean, fest. For for a while, FF8 was the second highest selling title in the whole series. So yeah. so saying it's saying it's unpopular is incorrect. But uh, but like I, th- I think like certain circles really didn't like parts of FF8, and we might have been within those circles as fans of old school Final Fantasy games. That's like great. I mean, I was I mean I used to write for a uh, a Final Fantasy VI website before joining joining RPG Fan, and um and and there was a lot of FF FF8 haters in that uh, in that group. But uh, I think. I think a lot of people like FF8, but Rob and his and and Rob, you know, he's revising his own revisionist history. <laughs> uh, it, 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 it's a it's a it's a popular one, but you know, the, the strong opinions on Retro Encounter Episode One. Yeah, there you go. It's um... and there there still are. I mean, if you bring up Final Fantasy VIII with pretty much any RPG fan or Final Fantasy fan, there are going to be strong opinions about that game. It's definitely oh, yeah. the butt of a lot of jokes, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I think it's a I think it's a slightly divisive game, but it, it has its, it has its lovers and its haters. I definitely bounced off it the first time I played it, and then the second time I played it, I really liked it. I mean, I get where Rob was coming from. And one of the things like he was harping on the most is he didn't like how easy it was to break. But conversely, mm-hmm. I liked that because it made you feel like you understood the system. Like once you grasped the system and understood the strategy of it, it was very satisfying to break in a sense. Uh, in the same vein, I think we discussed this with like Bravely Default and stuff too. Like when you understand how to make the system work for you it's very satisfying like yeah you don't want to make it too easy or whatever and if it's that broken that's unfortunate like you know uh, monk ramza two hands but it with blade grasp but it's uh it's but at the same time you're the one who figured out that strategy so that there's that extra level of satisfaction i guess that i think you can't really take away so when you understand like where the draw points are and what spells are going to boost your hp to ridiculous levels to overcome the whole parody of uh, leveling up throughout the game mm-hmm. i think that's a lot of fun personally and then you get to the points where you're like i'm just gonna use diablo's no encounters because i don't really need them and i can just enjoy the story i thought that was kind of neat too that you could turn it off 
I, yeah, um, go ahead, John. I think that Final Fantasy VIII has a bit of the middle child syndrome in a, in a similar way that Final Fantasy V does on the Super Nintendo system, and I guess two does yeah. on the NES. Um, it was, they were trying something a little bit different. In this case, they were kind of throwing out almost all of the uh, medieval elements. Like Final Fantasy VII still it has, is like crosses, straddles the line between fantasy and sci-fi, whereas this with the guy of the gunblade being a massive controversy back then and i was only like 13 years old um and they were like gunblade what the heck is this and then super cool i thought it was kind of a cool uh thing i like final fantasy it was so 90s my gosh yeah it was the gunblade i like final fantasy i didn't hate it it's a, i think it's a perfectly solid final fantasy game it's not the final fantasy game that i would play if i had the choice but if it was put in front of me i'd probably play it and i'd probably really enjoy the heck out of the card game in it Oh yeah, I mean now Final Fantasy fourteen has both Triple Triad and Gunblades, which is those are the two great legacies of FF eight. Um, but but, <laughs> well, but to the point of, of to the point of breaking the game, um, like it, it, it's fun creating overpowered characters in a lot of different RPGs. RPGs aren't fighting games; they don't necessarily need competitive balance to be good or fun. Um, because we're not yeah. we're not trying to create Final Fantasy eight esports here. No, but. Uh, but I mean, even I, I don't like it as much as seven or nine. I think, in part because it's not even fun to break. Like to properly break FF eight, you have to sit around draw, uh, draw junctioning for hours, and there's yeah, not, and that's not even a fun version of grinding. Teenager don't have time for that these days. Yeah, and um, and like leveling imbalances is weird. The enemies level up with you, can, which can be uh, devastating if you get everyone to level one hundred. Then enemies can uh, level five death you instantly, mm-hmm. uh, in, including a couple bosses. Yeah. Oof. So so like 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 so there's so the game like encourages you breaking it and then punishes you for breaking it sometimes. You gotta watch like, I, I think it, yeah. it's it's uh, it, it's fun and uh, interacting with a lot of the weird FF eight stuff is great, but it uh, it, it doesn't always work. And and again, I, I think it's my least favorite of the seven eight nine nine that trio. That stands to reason. One thing I did want to mention uh, before we go on to the other games, though, what's fun is, uh, the again, the where are they now sort of aspect of like, you know, we thought that we were on to 13 and this was the time where everyone thought that Square Enix was in a huge slump and everything was going down before we finally got to 14 and it was still awful. And then A Realm Reborn fixed everything and then we're kind of in this resurgence of Square Enix getting their groove back. And um, but at this point, you know, PlayStation had... Final Fantasy. It had left the Super Nintendo, had left Nintendo, but now here in 2019, 2020 now, but like back in 2019, we got the announcement that like 7, 8, and 9 were coming to the Switch um, with their ports. We had all these like uh, quality of life upgrades, which essentially undoes uh, a lot of what they were complaining about on the podcast, how like 8 especially is egregious of it, but like the time that it takes to do the grinding, the time that it takes for animations and stuff, all this stuff was done away with now. Mm. Yeah, there's a for, there's a fast forward option in most of the modern versions of FF789. Yeah. And uh, but but there were there was a lot of RJRPGs over is Square Enix over nothing is original anymore kind of commentary in the in episode 1 that was a little startling to me cuz I cuz I know I know Rob can be pessimistic sometimes but it was just Yes, he does say he's it, a it was yeah, the, the the haterade was flowing in that episode. <laughs> it was a pes- but it was a pessimistic time if I recall, in, not in terms of like I think in terms of not games and things large, like that. But... Not games at large, but an RPG. It was RPGs. It really wasn't a whole lot of hope back then. Um, and then well, over, again, because I mean, Square is... Enix was such a pin, like a uh, that's the, not pinnacle, but just they were on such a pedestal of being uh, like a titan in the industry and uh, and of the 
the force of behind JRPGs and to see them in a slump made everyone be like, is it done? Are we over? Is that it? Like, is the golden age gone? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, if you want to look at the last decade, the last after this episode, I mean, we talked about it on uh, the uh, the recent episode of uh, Retro, like the best games of uh, uh, and um, it's. I think the 2010s were a real golden age for RPGs specifically, like some of the new ideas that were being explored, uh, new genres, the way that, again, RPG elements were being put into games that weren't traditionally RPGs, uh, really revitalized the whole concept. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, in, in that podcast, I, I think the nineties had our most, had more of our favorite years, but the 2010s showed up pretty well. Like, like we're, mm-hmm. if, if, uh, 2010 was not a great time for JRPGs, the past several years, I think have been pretty damn good. Yeah. Uh, 17 and 18, especially. Yeah. Yeah. We've had well, a few good years. Anyway. To that point, um, the other two games that were discussed was Shimigami Tensei Strange Journey and Resonance of Fate. Shimagai Chensei, uh, Mike, you were mentioning, it got a 3DS remake, so that's another one that was brought back. But I never played. I haven't played either of them, so I don't know anything about it. That's what uh, Dennis was playing back in the day. Um, so I, I don't think any of us can speak to it, but it's you know it's more monsters or demons that you befriend. Well, and- I'm... Uh, I- I, I can speak to it a little bit. It's a uh, it's a game that's more like Shin Megami Tensei one and two, and and maybe Nocturne in the '90s and early 2000s than to a Digital Devil Saga or a Persona in the mid 2000s. Right. Again, it, it was it was it was a late 2000s uh, DS game that had a 3DS remake, and it's about a group of people that find what I think is basically a portal to hell in Antarctica. So they're so they have to wear it's sort of like. Yeah, kind of. You know, there's a little bit of the thing in it. They have to wear like yeah. mystical hazmat suits to travel in the in this and try to um, figure out <laughs> the mystery. Awesome. The mis- yeah, the mystery of this weird crevasse. So you, if you look at the materials for the game, they're looking at these. Uh, you, you might see these sort of uh, these beige suits of armor that almost look like. I mean, I mean, they almost look look, look like uh, like uh, oh shoot, what are those? What are those Japanese idol statues called? Um, uh, whatever but there's it has a really weird vibe to it but it's a first person dungeon crawler with classic Shin Megami Tensei elements and, and a pretty good story like it's a it's a well-liked game within the fandom but I only played the very beginning of the DS oh, okay. version I didn't I, I didn't get super far and my my, my hardcore ridiculous uh, mm. yeah that resonance of fate is another game I've only I only played the beginning of because that game's battle system is weird there's yeah you're a lot you going on to essentially dive into it yeah it's uh oh boy it, it, it's it's like a uh, a genre fusion of RPG and shooter in a way that, that I think they compared it to Valkyria Chronicles in they the did, episode yeah. but but Val- Valkyria Chronicles is a little bit more third person a little bit more of a strategy game but uh, Residents of Fate, I think uh, I think Marcos is was a big fan of Residents of Fate. He he he's tried to get it on Retro Encounter a couple times, but it's a, it, it's a <laughs> it's a very it's a it's a very systems heavy RPG that never really connected with me. Hmm. It's hmm. one I wouldn't mind going back on. Also, um, one thing that did come up in that discussion too was uh, that Rob really doesn't like Nolan North for some reason. Yeah, that's weird. Does yeah, anyone know I why mean, that is? I mean, he seems nah, like a really affable person. Eh, he's probably too handsome. You know, he's he's like he's sort of like he has like a classic leading man voice. Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I get the possibly the the criticism that he sounds too samey across everything, maybe, but maybe it's just at that point too that Nolan North was really hitting a stride and starting to be in everything. So maybe there's that as well. At at that point, he was at least in the first two Uncharted games and uh, and the 2008 Prince of Persia. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of what else happened. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to look up his IDMDB page or yeah. anything. But, but I keep like uh, crossing <laughs> him with like Mark Mira, but they're both like pretty strong contemporaries too, for that matter. Yeah, um, I think that sort of a Troy Baker became a, a, a right. major leading man guy in the 2010s, and I, I was very amused. Um, I think Uncharted 4 came out and uh, got and the recent God of War came out uh, a couple years apart. And in Uncharted 4, Nolan North and uh, Troy Baker are brothers. And in God of War, you fight Magni and Modi, who are uh, who are voiced by North and Baker, and they're also brothers, and you have to murder both of them. <laughs> so, they, so in so in the two trifecta. in two of the bi- yeah in two of the biggest AAA PS4 games, those two leading men are hero brothers and villain brothers. It's a I, I was really amused by that. Mm-hmm. Um, Rob also mentioned that he got hate mail about his FF8 review from I guess one of the, again maybe that's what brought up the idea that sure. people really like it and um, was delighted. <laughs> right and that yeah that's that's the kind of thing that feeds rob i suppose he's a teacher in the sa- I got, for the sadistic reasons <laughs> the only hate mail i've ever gotten was when i wrote a uh, i wrote a review of a south park game and i said that south park was a little bit puerile and uh they and i got an email saying that i don't understand comedy so that was fun <laughs> oh yeah i think i remember you i think that did come up yeah i remember you mentioned I'm, that, I'm, I'm, on a podcast I'm, or something i i may have mentioned it before but yeah. I, don't specifically I was gonna remember. yeah i was gonna ask if any either anybody has gotten hate mail here so you yeah you got a bit uh have you gotten any yet yeah. john on any reviews or anything uh i got a, i got one comment that stuck with me and that was uh i got someone accusing me of taking a payoff for giving cthulhu saves christmas a good review oh right i do remember that <laughs> <laughs> Seaboard Games, yeah, they have some deep pockets to bribe RPG fan with. Yeah, that, that that's a popular opinion. When people oh, I know. Uh, don't, when people don't like what a games writer is saying, they were obviously in the pocket of the people that gave us the game. It's it, mm-hmm. it really isn't. <laughs> I know, yeah, it, and we probably just... really shouldn't mention all those free switches we keep being given, right? Yeah. <laughs> just from uh, the Nintendo warehouse. Best... Yeah, no kidding. The best free thing I ever got from a game developer was when I uh, demoed the John Wick game at E3 once. They gave me uh, a couple um, John Wick coins from the uh, from the movies. Oh, right. Like, yeah, they, they were little you know That's brass imitation coins. But that, that if I were to review the game, it would obviously get an eleven out of ten because yeah, I mean they gave me coins. <laughs> yep, I That's like fair. I like shiny. The extra one was for the the cool the cool swag. <laughs> I um yeah I've only, I haven't really gotten anything like I've gotten I feel like the closest thing I've gotten to hate mail is just someone being like your complaints aren't valid why are you bringing up something well, I think it was on Trials of Mana they were saying like I was grasping at straws to find negative stuff which to a point sure I guess but the, you know that game the the did remake they, isn't they, flawless it, 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 it's sort of the same game we did that's a that, that there's like there's like thirty second long waiting uh, loading times in that well thing. exactly and like. Uh, yeah, and so and I think that's the worst I got was just them disagreeing with some of my part points, but it's just it was less it was more discussion, less you're wrong and you should just quit being a games journalist. And you know I haven't gotten any of that that I know can come out in the industry against uh, mm-hmm. from fans towards us, mm-hmm. thankfully. But uh, yeah, I don't know if I'd meet it with quite the same delight that Rob would. <laughs> no, no, Rob thrives on negativity. Yeah, uh, <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, so the last thing I wanted to bring up before we uh, close out this really awesome special episode was the talking point that Rob brought up because really we've uh, we've been touching on it all throughout the episode and Mike you first brought it up was the aspect uh, the question was that you know what do we think about so many RPG mechanics being brought to the non RPG genres and it's really even since then like you know they're talking that it was becoming a thing 
even 10 years ago and now that it feels like even fifa has it nhl yeah. series has had it like there's so many games outside of rpgs now that have some sort of rpg elements in it uh it's really grown and and where do i guess based on the conversation they had my additional question to you is why do we think that is uh, in my opinion, the reason why RPG elements are incorporated into non-RPGs is to increase the level of immersion um, within those yeah. games. I mean, you yeah. give people choices, they get more invested. And those choices don't need to be huge. They don't need to be like classic RPG-style moral dilemmas where you have to choose between one bad choice or another. It could if I join simply... Manchester United or if I join, um, quick, give me another soccer team, so see, I know you know better than I do. Chelsea. LC. Perfect. Uh, will I be able to save the world? <laughs> Exactly. And uh, yes, that, that's, a, that's a choice that I face daily. Um, and because of, <laughs> and because of that, it's... amazing football skills. Yes, my amazing foot... <laughs> soccer. Um, wait, I'm Canadian. We're, Do we call it Canadian? We're, nor- we're, yeah. we're North Americans, so I think, I think we call it... Uh, I, think, I think we call it soccer. Are you, are, you're not a big uh, Toronto FC or Vancouver Whitecaps fan? Really? I've I, been to a Whitecaps game. It was actually more fun than I <laughs> thought it would be. I, I think I think St- I think Steve long. Nash is a I think Steve Nash is a part owner of the White Caps, and that's the only reason I'm yes. aware of that team at all. <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, so that's what I think. Uh, that's why I think RPG elements are in- increasingly incorporated into non-RPG games. It's because by giving people an element of choice, by giving them okay, you can choose this ability or this ability on the skill tree, um, it gives them ownership of the game and choices that they make, and just a little bit of that can go a long that. way. Yeah. yeah. That was my thought, too, I, when he approached the question in episode one. What about you, Mike? Um, I'm in a similar track, but I wouldn't use the word choice or immersion. I would say, uh, I, I, I would, I would say growth or or uh, efficacy, because like okay. um, part of what I yeah, one thing I love about RPGs is the feeling of improvement and getting stronger, mm-hmm. of being someone that could you know barely swing a sword at level one to being able to swing a sword and have eight fireballs come out of it in level at level eighty, <laughs> and uh, a, a lot of these games like basically reward play time and reward investment with uh, more information, more uh, like more skill points, more access to skill trees, and it, it basically RPG elements are a pathway to character growth and f- character freedom that are very very appealing and uh th- there's two giant examples of games in the 2010s that i think are like the, the not maybe the craziest but but two of the biggest implementations of rpg mechanics i mean one is a game we've mentioned i think already is assassin's creed mm-hmm. the assassin's creed games before 2017 are you know they're they're open world games lots of running and jumping and slashing they're sort of a, in the lineage of the prince of persia games i, th- I think very sort of assassin's creed yeah, I, th- I think Assassin's Creed kind of replaced Prince of Persia in the in the Ubisoft uh, yeah. pipeline, basically. But the three most recent big budget ones, uh, Origin, uh, Odyssey, and Valhalla, which comes out in a week or two, is are they even call them RPGs on the U- Ubisoft website? There's yeah. a, a lot of character growth. There's experience systems, and, and they're, they're basically open world uh, one character RPGs. Yeah. When the uh, when the previous Assassin's Creed games were were action games with some RPG elements, so that, so that that's a full series transformation. And the other one, and I wonder why the game that I was, actually like why they made that it, choice to just lean fully into it. If was it just fan feedback? Was it better storytelling? And like you said, better better freedom of making the character yours i'm not a giant fan. I, like i haven't played the series a whole lot but it's, it's my understanding that it was the series was starting to get kind of stale 
And I mean, when you do, when you, the series gets stale, you have to ask yourself, can we add right. something to it to brighten it back up again? And I think RPG mechanics did revitalize a lot of the uh, popularity mm-hmm. of the series. I, I'm not an Assassin's Creed expert, but I think that there were hits and misses in the 2010s before Absolutely. Origins. Like, well, like, it was like, like an like, annualized I think pe- series almost too, which again, they talked it, no, about No, not almost. I think it was, I think, I think it was straight up annualized from 2009 to 2015. Yeah. Uh, like, uh, like from, from Assassin's Creed 2 through... Oh, I don't know either the the French Revolution one or the Victorian London one. I'm not sure which. I'm, again, I'm not an expert. Yeah, I'm like but uh, I, I, yeah, I think that uh, I, I think maybe Skyrim has something to do with it because Skyrim in 2011 was so massively popular right. that I think a lot a lot of people wanted the bite of that open world, large amounts of freedom RPG Apple and Assassin's and because the world in Assassin's Creed Origins and Odyssey are enormous. And, and they wanted some of that pure freedom, huge world RPG elements that Skyrim brought. Because, again, the, those games were, I think, 2017 and 2019. Skyrim was 2011. You could sort of see the timeline of ideas There's there. very much but yeah, the, the focus group said, this is what we want. <laughs> yeah, but but the, the other series I wanted to look at yeah. is maybe a, a, was maybe something that you wouldn't have thought of as having a lot of RPG elements. And that are... Fight, those are fighting games made by NetherRealm Studios. <laughs> which <laughs> which, the, which games the, are theirs? That's Mortal Kombat and ah. Injustice. Yes. And the um, the uh, Mortal Kombat games of the two- 2010s are remarkably good. Uh, you have Mortal Kombat uh, 9X and 11, which were 2011, 15, and 19, and Injustice 1 and 2, which were 2013 and 2017. I didn't realize um, that. I thought X was still like the current one that they were still releasing stuff for. I didn't realize that. No, no. Happened. No, it's, it's eleven. It's eleven, and then they they released a recent expansion pack for eleven called uh, Mortal Kombat Eleven Aftermath. I just want to know when we're getting another movie. No, I'm kidding. I really don't. <laughs> I don't know. They they brought they they have the movie the actor that played the movie Shao Kahn as one of the Shao Kahn skins. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, uh, oh. Shang Tsung as as one of the Shang Tsung skins That's in Mortal Kombat. 11. Awesome. He's, he does good. he hams it up. It's, it's great. But. Uh, but the thing about these is, um, the, uh, Mortal Kombat Nine, which was just called Mortal Kombat, is a straight up action, uh, a straight up fighting game. Uh, it goes through the Mortal Kombat one, two, three stories. It's 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 good, but it's not an RPG at all. Fast forward a couple of years, Injustice Two, the fourth game in this lineage, you whenever you fight, whenever you use a character, whether it's online story mode training mode whatever they level up like an rpg character okay. you get currency that that opens up loot boxes that gets you equipment which affects your stats and everything if you there's even some equipment pieces that turn characters into other characters it is a diablo-esque loot hunt as a fighting game with a cast of 40 plus it is a little weird which creates and, some um, interesting looking characters too by the end of that game you kind of look like a <laughs> an action figure variant from like batman the animated series yeah, you, you look like a kid who had a bunch of action figures, <laughs> but then but then we're replacing the arms and legs of different ones together. Yeah, that's and weird. L- like and and uh, a lot of it's cool. Like a lot of it is you know different Wonder Woman or Superman costumes from different comics. So like like it's it's very care it's very carefully chosen all of the equipment customization, but it has a leveling and equipment customization system that is completely RPG and can affect your play online. Like I think you can enter online lobbies that are oh, yeah. no equipment. Uh, to make everything as balanced as they are as everyone is with their base equipment but uh, they turned an arcade fighting game into a loot based rpg and that is something that is crazy to me when i heard about it when it was coming out and playing it earlier this year because i I play everything years late because i have a podcast to run yes but the uh it needs to be retro yeah exactly if it's not two years old i'm not allowed to talk about it unless i put spoiler cast in the title <laughs> um but uh and uh yeah and justice 2 spoiler cast coming 2021 but the <laughs> uh 
Uh, story mode in that game is not bad, actually. But the and, and it even has choice elements to it. Yeah. The ending. <laughs> you, you can. Uh, and that's yeah, like the, yeah, the, 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 the final like, chapter. Like, I remember like trying to play online mm-hmm. and people would just be like stick handling in circles around me with their like super fast unlocked skates like equipment. They'd have like right. golden helmets and stupid stuff like that. That, but again, the loot grind, leveling up your loot and stuff like that would just like demolish me in just a sport game that's about that's supposed to be how good you are at hockey. Yeah, and uh, again, there are modes, to, at least in Injustice 2, to play online where you it's like equipment right. all off, everyone in base at Which base level. But still, like I, I just, um, I, I mean, it's just a symptom of RPG elements being present in more and more games. Like, I mean, I, I, you could basically argue that Far Cry is an RPG, even right. though it's, even though it's ex- it's extremely open world FPS. But it, because I mean, yeah, RPG mechanics are just are just fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah, RPG mechanics are just fun. People like getting stronger. People like getting more freedom and more tools in their toolkit. Another form of so, progression in a game, essentially. Yeah, exactly. And um, whether it's a, you know an arcade fighter loot hunt or a, a whole big series transforming from action, action open world to, to action RPG, mm. it's it, it's the times you live in. But being RPG fans, I welcome it. Yeah. One thought I just had that you were saying though about like yeah the growth of an action series or like I was saying about the hockey stuff or even like in fifa how much of that though you wonder is um is almost like handholdy and making it more uh like it's one thing that rob was saying does it dilute the rpg genre that i don't think it does but does it dilute the genre that they're putting them in because then it kind of takes away the the get good aspect if you're just leveling up your gear does that create a great balancing act if you're like well i'm not so good at shooting but now i've leveled up my gun that if when i do get a shot in it's going to kill something real good Whereas the people who are actually like really good at the Twitch shooting controls, they're getting headshots left, right, and center just because they're very good at it through practice, not because they've gotten the golden gun with a hundred percent accuracy. I think it's two um, I think it's two different kind of I mean it's two different ways to play a game. Some people play right. a game to uh, you know, get good, uh, to stream and to really, you know, show off their skills online. Other people play it for the story to get the narrative, which is another place that RPGs have influenced uh, other games like narrative yeah, again there's a fifa story that i literally was in and i never would have thought that any point in my acting career would i be acting in a fifa story yeah and for some people <laughs> it's a combination of the two like you want to get good enough to get through the story yeah and that's like yeah where and then even then there's a lot of games where you can tone down like how casually you want to play just to get through the story too mm. to get back to something we were talking about earlier balance isn't always fun uh, right. if, if, like th- there are people that want to play a balanced, a balanced uh, multiplayer game, and they will get good and master something, and you know try and get to DreamHack or Evo or something. Uh, and and those are the people that you know maybe they are indulging in a loot system like Injustice Two has, but they'll be presumably playing against others that have also indulged in that loot system. So, but there but there's people Fair. that maybe don't go online to play, and they are perfectly are perfectly happy seeing their char- their favorite characters' stats go up and have them just absolutely wreck the CPU player over and over. Because they, yes. they, 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 they care more about the feeling of power than the feeling of mastery. Yeah, the power and that's, fantasy. And that's, and, yeah, exactly. Like, the, the power fantasy might be more uh, important to them than multiplayer dominance. Yeah. And but it, there's, there's no wrong way or right way to enjoy not. a that's game fair. like this. So, uh, like, I, I don't think... Uh, there will always be people that try to insist to get good and want to play a game that way, but those are the people that will go online versus people that even a game with a large multiplayer component will only play it in single player. Like, I, I know Diablo players 
and torchlight players that only do single player because that because that's the experience they want even though even though they won't nearly get they won't get a full set of items quite as quickly which is the main right. reason I played Diablo 3 online it's like like man I want to get my I want to get my headhunter set like in an hour instead of two weeks <laughs> that's yeah totally fair <laughs> yeah that's a good point and again there yeah there's and there's whether it's those games that have the elements in them and you can turn them off or on or not there's other games that will be for purists anyways you know that don't have RPG elements so there's always something obviously if you want to be in yeah the get good crowd or not but yeah it's just just a thought that occurred to me while we were discussing it. Like, does it cheapen the experience in any way, shape, or form? But you're right. It's whatever you want out of it. No, it's it's a good point, though. It, 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 gives, it gives people the option of a different experience. If there's, if there's a lot of multiplayer modes or, uh, or RPG elements that you can indulge in or not indulge in. Yeah. I mean, and, and Mass Effect 3 was perfect for that because you had it was huh, tied directly yeah. to the story with the multiplayer element. You could do the, the, the shooting combat cover squad-based mechanic multiplayer game. Mm and unlock um reinforcements or whatever it was i can't remember now for the story mode or there was yeah a, it, it gave path. it gave you uh, i think they 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 ed, they patched out some of it but um yeah. there was like a readiness stat yes that uh and uh, and you could um increase that by playing the on the the mobile game or by playing multiplayer matches that's what it was and, okay. the, the, and the multiplayer wasn't bad it was a it was a sort of a co-op horde uh three third person horde horde mode yeah and I, I and I played it a little bit to you know get my readiness high enough to get a good ending, but uh, you could do it in I, a single not... player without even as well too. I thought there was a way, but it just wouldn't get as high. Maybe I can't remember. Maybe I think I think like you with single player only you couldn't get above sixty or something. Gotcha. And uh, oh, sorry, like there, there was, I'd have, I'd have to I'd have to look up to get exact numbers. But um, but I remember the it was a little bit clumsily added, but because they like pe- they were basically giving people story carrots on a stick for way uh like for ways for people to to want to play multiplayer and the mobile yeah. game which They're i didn't always appreciate it, like i, I get, it was an it was a 2012 experiment which uh, which makes me a little bit more forgiving of it but i i did not <laughs> I, I did not love like feeling like i had to play multiplayer to just get story stuff i wanted even, which, even though i didn't hate the multiplayer no it was, it was, thankfully it was fun that's the, the, the upshot mm-hmm. it's not like it was yeah unplayable but Again, that's not for everybody either, right? One of the things that uh, really amused me about this conversation that they were having was, I guess it was 2010, there was almost an undercurrent where they they said they were RPGs, but there was like an undercurrent of almost debating whether Borderlands and Mass Effect were RPGs. In the episode, yeah. In the Mm -hmm. episode at points. And nowadays it's like... back in episode one. Of of course they are. Like it's just just reached that point. And it does Mm -hmm. make me wonder if in like 10 years from now, if somebody, say, brings up Spider-Man, for example... If right. an RPG fan then will be like, yeah, Spider-Man uh, Miles Morales is an RPG. I don't know why RPG fan doesn't have a review for it. I, again, that's not an argument I, I need to have exactly. But uh, Spider-Man is, a, is an open world action game with a lot of RPG elements. And hmm. even though I don't think it, it necessarily crosses a line into full RPG... That that's at least it goes yeah, right up know, to the like, right up to the wire though right up to the yeah. the limit of it and it's 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 undeniable that it is full of RPG elements oh yeah and I that's the mm-hmm. that's the thing and I think it that conversation was actually extraordinarily uh, uh, helpful because for me it clarified uh, a bit more of what we cover and what we don't uh, in the sense that if a game is not advertised as an RPG if a company does not advertise it as an RPG like like Spider-Man, for example, RPG is not mentioned. There are RPG elements, but it's not an RPG. RPG fan can't legitimately cover that through the lens of role-playing games. 
because it's not it's not what we do. But if another game comes along, like, say, Marvel's Avengers, which does advertise itself as an mm-hmm. RPG, uh, we can look at it through that lens, and we can legitimately review it through that lens, uh, satisfying our, I guess, our mission statement. Right. I think, I think part of it might be that Marvel's Avengers does have multiple playable characters. Yeah, that's true. And, and, and so, so there's like a, there's a character switching or possibly teamwork element to it. I, I haven't, I haven't done a lot of research into the, it, it, that, that's a recent game. I think it came out only a month or two ago. Yeah. Uh, but there's another, there's another good example that came out a couple of weeks ago, which was, I guess, rivaling Batman games. Uh, Rocksteady came out with, uh, oh, right. Suicide, Suicide Squad kills the Justice League and they, and, uh, as it, UB Montreal came out with, uh, Gotham Knights. No, no, no. Gotham, Gotham, mm, Gotham Knight was one of the Arkham games. Uh, yeah, that's one that just got announced, right? It, yeah, yeah. This is the one with, with a bunch of former Robins teaming up to find out who to find out who killed Batman. Right? Yeah, and it looks like I mean, if you look at it, it looks like an it looks like an Arkham game. Um, but oh yeah, okay, you're right. It, it, it is Gotham Knights, but I was confusing it with Gotham Knights. Yes, uh, that's Arkham Knight. A singular. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. I, I, was, I was confusing Gotham Knights with Arkham Knight. That's what happened. Yeah, gotcha. my bad. Mm-hmm. But the difference is yeah. Arkham Knight. Uh, sorry, Gotham Knight is being described and marketed as an RPG. And if you watch mm. the videos, there are like there's damage counters. I guess there are multiple, you know, multiple playable characters. You can do it in multiplayer. They each one plays differently. But Suicide Squad versus the Justice League or kills the Justice League is not an RPG. It's not even advertised. Likely there will be RPG progression systems in it, but even though there are multiple characters and it looks very similar and it'll play very similar, it's not considered to be an RPG. I think it really does, in a lot of ways, it really does boil down to how the developer and how the uh, how the publisher wants to advertise the game and market the game. Because yeah, if they... there's definitely a, a, a vibe around, like, yeah, them calling it an RPG makes it very different from them calling it an action game with RPG elements, for sure. It draws a very mm-hmm. different crowd. Yeah, because if Miles Morales slapped RPG on the genre section... I would say, yeah, we can we can review that. Sure, they're claiming it's an RPG, so we can look at it as an RPG. But if they're not, I don't think it's fair for us to review it as an RPG, even if there are RPG elements in it. I I admittedly take a very liberal view as to what an RPG um, is or isn't. Again, I, I, I am the first person to tell you that a taco is a sandwich and a bowl of ice cream with more than two ingredients is probably also a sandwich. Um, <laughs> I would call so, it a like, soup like, more if, than if, anything. <laughs> Yeah, well, soup is also a sandwich. Especially. But, um, but, any, but and, anyway, the uh, yeah, gazpacho is also a sandwich. But <laughs> anyway, um, uh, back back to RPGs. I think that uh, a lot of different games that we cover will get a "Hey, that's not an RPG" Facebook comment if we post a news article about it, and there's nothing we can do about that. So I think it's that anything that we yeah. have. Yeah. yeah, it's extremely subjective, and I think that if a game has what uh, some of what we would call RPG elements, and there's one or two staff members interested in playing or covering it, then we should then we might as well do it. Hmm. But uh, but uh, again, like people have very rigid ideas of what is or isn't an RPG, and we have to and we have to play to our audience a little bit. So um, and and uh, and also like I mean we we covered the Zelda series uh, very um, very widely, but that's only because there's a lot of Zelda fans on staff, and we've always covered Zelda. It's it's the weird precedent holdout. Zelda's um, one of those exceptions to the rule, though I think. 
Why though? Like I, I, I think we, I think we should cover Zelda, but I think we maybe should also cover Spider Man. Like I, yeah. again, like I, I don't do. love having what isn't. I, I don't love having what is an RPG conversations, but uh, but I acknowledge and welcome the these widespread uh, growth of RPG elements within other genres because I almost always like a game better if it has some RPG elements in it. I do yeah. too. Yeah, I think I, I think there's no argument about that, and I mean we've I've had conversations with Mike back before I was review manager specific, specifically about Metroidvanias because we do right. cover, sure. RPG fan covers some Metroidvanias and some Metroidvanias we don't, and I think it really does border on does the does it on what side is it down on is it a little bit more Vania or is it a little more Castle. Um, no, no, no. In general, I think that like we don't cover the metros and we do cover the vanias because they because you level up in most of the Castlevania games. Right. Yeah, like 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 this, like that's the distinction that we make sometimes. And I, I don't I don't think that's totally fair. I think we should cover Metroid and probably most Mega Man games. <laughs> you, you get you get you, you get stronger throughout the game. The me- there's web there's weapon customization. There's uh th- there's like uh there's a lot of customization elements in 2018's Mega Man 11, including uh in- including equipable items. It's Mega Man basically an RPG. I mean, late era, <laughs> late era Mega Man games on the DS were just they were Metroidvanias. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh yeah, like like uh, like um ZX and uh and like the late Mega Man Zero games. They're awesome. Um, the, the those weird uh oh shoot. What was that weird one that um you should that, know that, that had like three versions to it? I really should, but I I didn't like them. Is why I didn't play any after ZX Advent. Uh oh shoot, I I don't feel like googling it right now. That's but okay. the, like there's a there's <laughs> a lot of choice and a lot of cut and and a lot of customization in Mega Man. So is Mega Man an RPG? Again, like like <laughs> probably not in the in in common parlance, but RPG elements are 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 you know they're everywhere now. yeah and i mean well, it also breaks down and they confronted this too uh what is an rpg in terms of like japanese rpgs versus western rpgs like basically the dungeons and dragons oh, model versus the jrpg model of it right yeah like, and that's they, the whole I western mean, versus jrpg and we've had that talk before and yeah that's an even bigger conversation that will make this podcast even longer than it's already running yeah, we should probably wrap this up pretty soon. It's all good. My my big takeaway from this whole what is an RPG or you know uh, RPG elements in other games though is um, can we review Warhammer Dawn of War two, Jono? I'll tell you what. If Rob comes to me and says, "Hey, Jono, I have this idea for a review," I'll consider it. We'll let him do a retro review of it. You'll consider it. I'll send. I'll send him. I'll send him a text like, "Hey, uh, we listened to." Random Encounter 001 and <laughs> you made Dawn of War 2. You made a hell of a compelling case. Yeah. And so 20, 20, 10 years, years later, later, it's been approved. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gracious. Uh, salt in the wound. But uh, yes, uh, the where are they now of that is uh, no, Dawn of War 2 did not make it into uh, RPG fans reviews if you go search for it. Um, but yeah, to wrap things up, at this point, uh, Zach went into the news as was uh the old format uh we've since more or less done away with mm-hmm. that just because conversations just go on and why rush everybody when you're having a good talk and yeah. now i just shove it in at the beginning and it's more about what's going on at the site less about releases so whatever if you want to know what's going on with the news go to the site we cover everything <laughs> basically exactly um and if you want to see a really busy week for news i mean you're having the uh xbox series s and the playstation mm-hmm. 4 5 debut within a few days of each other <laughs> with dozens of new games and ports coming out the same week we're in an extremely busy week it's a couple weeks november is going to be insane there are so yeah, many big the games of our- coming out too 
Yeah, the end of October is a little busy, and November is going to be completely bonkers. Oh, yeah. It's, and I still have to make be... my daughter a costume. <laughs> it's going to be nuts. Like, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Yakuza Like a Dragon, Cyberpunk 2077, uh, Hyrule mm-hmm. Warriors. We have a busy friggin' month coming up. Yeah. Oh, man, that's right. Hyrule Warriors is coming out. Oh, gosh. And God knows, maybe even Bravely Default 2. Right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a, a lot of scuttlebutt about that. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think... Uh, but Square Enix, at least at the time of recording, uh, which is October 19th, is still insisting it has a 2020 release date. Mm-hmm. We'll yeah, see. We'll find out. Well, that was but, the joke uh, I, said to, I said to Mike a few days ago. At this point, it's mm. you know it's it's going to be on a Nintendo system. I wouldn't be surprised if they like stealth drop it in a direct at like 4 a.m. Well, on exactly. a Thursday night. Here are some of the features on Bravely Default 2. Also, it's out now. Yeah. Weirdly, I think that the likeliest scenario is it does come out in late November, early December because yeah. they, because otherwise they, if, if it was really going to get delayed, they would have told us by now when, yeah. they're really taking it down to the, when's wire. the Octopath mm. mobile game drop? Cause I'm wondering if it might coincide with that. Has, oh, it might, it might already, I think it's already out. In it's Japan, already out yeah. in Japan but, has uh, not been okay. announced in the, in here yet. I mean, there's some, right. It looks pretty good actually. I mean, it looks, they did, they did just like Octopath. Um, the, the, the Dragon Quest mobile game just uh, had its uh, beta launch in North America, so that that's happening soon. Right. Dragon Quest Tact. Yes, that's what it's called, right? Because it wasn't what mm-hmm. it was called in Japan. And that's why I thought no, there was I two of them. No, the... Or no, there is two. No, of them, there, there's, there's a different one that's called like Dragon Quest of the Stars, yes, which I think, which I is already, which is yeah, that's already out in North America okay. and Japan. But uh, Tact is the one that's more focused on monsters versus characters and uh, grid-based combat gotcha. rather than turn-based. Yeah, I'm combat. curious about that one. We'll check it out. I've been going hard on War of the Visions lately, so but we'll talk about that in a laser episode. My, I, I played a lot of Brave Exvius in like 2016, but I think that my Final Fantasy gacha days are behind me. Oh, that's totally fair, <laughs> as you just said. I, uh, um, yeah. Yeah, at any rate. But yeah, we're not going to do news, is the moral of the story here. Uh, but I did want to quickly wrap this episode up uh, with the final look back at episode one of the the Where Are They Now? Um, which uh, I think Solosi is the most authoritative source on that, with his uh, broad memory of these things. Where are they now Sure, these days? I, I, I have a... I'm cursed with a good memory for details. Uh, uh, Rob Steinman was the main host of uh, Random Encounter from 2010 to, I think, 2017. Then yep. he stayed an extra year to do a couple reviews, but officially retired from RPG Fan in 2018. He is a teacher who lives in uh, Pennsylvania with his lovely wife, Jackie, and his four cats and two dogs. They're all wonderful people and animals. And um, I know they were possibly working towards babies. I'm not sure if that's happened yet, though. Um, there was talk when Rob when Rob left the website. He just, he said that was something him and Jackie were talking about, but we have no news on that front. Yeah. And I and I do I do text Rob like multiple times a week. We I've, we we hang out. Nice. Um, yeah, they're they're again they're lovely people. I love I love uh, mm-hmm. I love visiting. Despite them him in, being in, uh, like, yeah, the resident hater and gruff around the edges, he sounds yeah. like a really chill dude. <laughs> No, he is. Uh, he's he's a good hang, and I, I I met him at Magfest in 2014, and like how much I enjoyed the RPG fan people then, which was early 2014, inspired me to apply for the website a few nice. months later. But uh, and, and I was already a podcast listener. But anyway, I uh, Kyle to be Miller. On the cast with him, but uh, we didn't cross over. <laughs> anyway, sorry, Kyle. Jono, Jono, you've podcasted with Rob Steinman earlier this year. Yeah, wait, I did, didn't I? Yeah. See, I don't have a mind for details. Apparently, <laughs> yeah. for details. We, we did. We did two. We did two Yakuza Zero episodes in June. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah, but anyway, but again, I have a weird memory for things. Uh, Kyle Miller, I did overlap with him on the website a little bit. He, uh, he, he was there probably about as long as Rob. I think seven or eight years. 
Yeah, but he retired in 2016 when he was the review's head, and then that uh, I believe he passed on that mantle um, to. Is that Alana? And I think for a while it was. It, I think I think it was Mike, and then Alana. Okay. Um, and Alana was the review's manager for at least a year, probably maybe maybe more like two or three years. Um, then you have uh, Zach Pinchik, who of the four people on the episode one had the longest career within the games industry. He was the a news writer, and I think also the brief, and but I don't think he was ever the news head because Liz Moss was the news head for like a decade. Um, but he was a news reporter uh, who wrote a lot of news sites and was sort of covering the news section of the podcast for at least the first few episodes. Yeah. But he eventually uh, worked for Eight Four, which is a uh, which is a um, popular localizer. Um, um, operating out of Japan, and was on a couple episodes of their popular podcast, 8-4 Play, uh, which is also true of our uh, mutual friend, Stephen, Stephen Myrink, who oh, okay. was a panelist on, on a random encounter much later. Yes, and I do remember the, the, when the fourth... um, Zach left, but he was going to Japan. I remember him leaving, and I was like, oh, it's a bummer, because he was a really great voice on the podcast. Mm, yeah, no, he, no, he was, I, th- I thought he was a strong voice in this episode. And yeah. uh, the fourth panelist was, was uh, Dennis Rubenstein, who uh, still interacts with our RPG fan on social media. Like, you can see him... Um, on uh, on Twitter and Facebook, commenting on our stuff. But he was a re- he was a reviewer for a couple years. I never he retired before 2014. I never interacted with him. Um, but uh, I I believe that I, I don't know why exactly. But Rob seemed very in, uh, invested in Dem- Dennis Rubenstein's love yeah. life in a way that I and for for reasons I cannot explain. But I I hope that Dennis uh, was able to find love and happiness. Yes. Did he ever get laid because of the podcast and Rob? We may never know. But uh, maybe we'll have to. Okay, ask him I'm one speaking day. speaking from exper- speaking from experience. I don't think podcasting gets you laid unless you're Mark Maron. Podcast stars? No. Yeah. Okay. That's true. <laughs> That's a fair point. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Like this, the we're, thing, we're RPG uh, fan and not RPG. We're on. RPG. Sorry. <laughs> we're RPG fan and not RPG only fans. Exactly. As much as we uh, that need, doesn't need to be a thing, but it the comedy of it needs <laughs> to make it a thing. I don't know. Uh, we'll the see how 2020 wraps up. <laughs> it's any rougher how desperate we are um looking back to it that episode uh we've definitely like we already discussed it we've, cle- we've cleaned up our act a little bit in terms of uh, the language and like jano accused me of it's me being a family man it's probably the biggest contributor to it and um yeah it's otherwise we i think we've answered a lot of the questions asked in episode one it's been a good run and i'm i'm forever grateful that rob got this podcast off the ground because then it got us great shows like retro like rhythm and to to further amplify the voices at this website and um it's interesting because it's for me i, I find the podcast is what really started putting rpg fan on the map for me because i always knew about the site i checked in now and again but it wasn't until like the podcast and i actually started to get to know some of the faces of the site that i actually found myself invested in the site mm-hmm. yeah i think podcasts are a great way to get to know people on a almost a personal level you listen to a conversation, and you're kind of a passive participant in that conversation. Right? Well, I was very active. Yeah, I don't know how many times I yelled at them to be like, it's Atelier. Atelier. Stop saying Atelier, you uncultured swines. Or other things uh, of that nature. Things that would require a chocobo sound. <laughs> well, it's also funny, too, because I did the I, I did the backlog where, like, when I got into it, it was so far, I want to feel like it was, like, 50 episodes in so i went back to one and listening to things and at that point having the foreknowledge that they didn't and being able to oh, kind of yeah. like shout out the, oh, the yeah. answers so to speak that was also fun too going going back in time for almost any version of podcasting mediums is uh 
can get really interesting. Like I, I, I listen to backlog sports podcasts sometimes, and knowing who wins the championship at the end of the year and how, having them discuss contenders three months earlier is is interesting. What the, yeah. <laughs> it, it does it does it doesn't always work, but it's interesting. Yeah, well, exactly. It's interesting to hear where they think it's going to be going and what predictions panned out and what didn't. Yeah, especially when it comes to like the E three podcasts and such. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. I feel sorry for people who have to listen to like the first couple of episodes of a podcast four or five years from now for 2020. (laughs) They're just going to be like, oh, yeah, I remember this. (laughs) Guess I can skip the first 12 episodes. (laughs) Um, We had not figured out Retro Encounter yet in the first several episodes. Some of those early listens are rough. I don't don't mean that to... and I don't mean that to disparage myself or the other no. panelists. We, we just hadn't figured out yet. I think, I think that 2020 is the best year of Retro Encounter because every year we have a better understanding of who we are and what we want to talk about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's and, um, and, great subjects. And, and, and back to podcasting as a medium, I, I just, I've listened to a lot of podcasts. I got into them in the late 2000s, like 0910 range. And I just think that, like Jono mentioned this, it's like you're being part of a conversation, yeah. or like, or like you're hanging out with the uh, with, with the con- with the podcasters. But if you watch an actor on TV or a movie, it's like you're watching, you're you're looking through a window into into another planet. Like, like there there's distance when you when you watch an actor or read a writer, but an, an intimacy and a personality will in a, in a radio show or a pot or a podcast that I, I don't know. It's, it's it's a different kind of connection. Uh, listener and uh, and and creator than um, than reader or creator or viewer and creator. That's a, that's really interesting to me. Like I'm, I'm not I'm not saying I think I know the people that I I listen to on the regular because they they don't they don't know me at all. But it it it's it, 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 I feel closer to them than to my favorite podcasters than I do to my favorite actors or writers in a way that's a little weird. But I kind of like well, entirely understand that. To it. Yeah, and I've um. Yeah, and uh, I, I, again, I'm always shocked when people tell me they're a podcast listener, but I have had that happen before. And uh, and even some people in RPG fan, uh, similar to you and I, Greg, but maybe, maybe a little bit uh, people that have joined more recently saying that, oh, yeah, I, I started out listening to podcasts on RPG fan and decided to apply. Like, there, there's several of us on site with that origin story. Yeah, there's it's a... Uh... We're, again, we're the face, right? It's the it's the glory role, so to speak. So hopefully, we're being good spokesmen uh, well, I mean, for the it, site. Mm. To a degree, it is a, it is a front facing role, yeah. and a, and it, because podcasts are personality driven more so than reviews, I think. Yeah, and so it it also seems attractive, yeah, to be like one day I could be there too. <laughs> yeah, if somebody yeah, listening I, to this I, right I now doing... is, the, is someone listening to this right now is going to be the next host. Or maybe like three hosts down the line of random or <laughs> what have you done? My email inbox is going to blow up now. Why have you done this to me? <laughs> I think um, I, okay, I, I can't say this for one hundred percent certainty, but uh, listeners, if you're interested in joining the RPG fan family, just keep an eye on the website. Uh, we do hiring drives fairly often, yeah. usually targeting a specific group. Like, uh, hey, we're we really need more reviewers. Hey, we really need more news writers. I need and, you uh, people you know, on some... video team, please. Just yeah, me. yeah, yeah. Some and oh, yeah. eventually, like, like. Uh, I can't say it will happen soon necessarily, but video, streaming, podcasting, those all, we uh, we yeah. may sound the call for those as well. So just Absolutely. keep an eye on the website. Yeah, uh, exactly. Much, note, like, they, much like they said in the original, uh, in the original thing, uh, we are adding new things to keep up with the times. <laughs> right. Yes, we're adding a, a YouTube page and podcasts, and that's about it, actually. <laughs> but we'll you too can people. join RPG Fan and make me play Kingdom Hearts 2. <laughs> Someone's going to make that happen on Retro one of these days, and I hope you're on the episode. 
Uh, but yeah, well, Kingdom- I have to be. I, I have to be. But we did Kingdom Hearts one uh, almost two years oh, ago. Oh, you have so, to. It's been and that I, long already, I, 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 I know Kingdom Hearts two is a popular one, so it may yet happen. It's but the no only guarantees. One I it's fun. Anyway, uh, if you have comments, complaints, um, wanting to join the site, uh, podcast <laughs> at rpgfan.com. That's where you can message myself, Jono, uh, and uh, harass us. Let us know what you think of things. Matt Boone did comment on wanting to what he wanted to hear on episode two hundred. Matt, thank you so much for reaching out to us. Uh, I couldn't get Rob and Derek and them on the onto the podcast like we did back at one fifty, but um, it was kind of nice being able to take that idea and sort of look at the revisit aspect that we did on this episode. So I hope that kind of satisfies what you're after. As for like you're saying, a review of the past decade of games. That's a long episode, but we did just do that whole feature on the site. So go check that out, folks. Yeah, I'm probably mentioning it at the top of the episode anyways, but the from 1986 onwards feature that we just covered of RPGs. Basically, up till now, it's amazing. We're all pretty proud of it. It's 87 to 2019, and the feature is called Defending Champions. Defending Champions, there we are. So that hopefully mm-hmm. scratches that itch for you, too. Uh, you can um, find me on Twitter, Instagram, at gdelmage. Uh, so let's see where can they find you you can find me on twitter at the real monsoon most of the time at evoker for dogs other times and on the website uh posting podcasts and writing about vending machines and vampires <laughs> and Jono, uh you can find me at Jono logan on twitter uh you can send me a message through you know the the email that uh, greg said earlier i'm occasionally on discord we'd love and to get more from, mail yeah it'd be nice and aside from Random Encounter, we have uh, heavily mentioned Retro Encounter. Uh, anything you want to give up that's coming up for that, Solzy? Uh, Sure. We have, um, again, a Halloween-themed episode about vi- vampires Spooky. coming soon along- al- alongside a written feature. We're doing two episodes on Final Fantasy X-2 in November. And um, sure, in December, we have a couple episodes planned, and one of them is celebrating the 25th anniversary of Tales of Fantasia, but we are not playing it for the podcast. We're doing something special for Tales of Fantasia in December. I can't believe that December's almost already here. I feel like the three of us were just talking about like Cthulhu Saves Christmas yeah, like a, a few months ago. It's kind of nuts. That, that, was, that was January. That was one of the first episodes yeah. of, 20, of 2020. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was really funny. It was really fun talking to the Z-Boyd guys, too. I, sure I, I always wish them success. Yeah, they were great. Mm-hmm. Their their up their upcoming game is about uh is a, a is a Japanese style RPG about female characters and Shakespeare plays all teaming up for an adventure. Oh, to hope. I didn't oh, even yeah, I heard uh, anything about it, but I, I haven't heard anything now. about it. But I'm looking up now. They do <laughs> yeah, no they kidding. do have a title for it. Um oh shoot, let me see. I I I remember it was a really clever title, so I, I definitely have to Google it, Google it now. Um, it's called "This Way Madness Lies," a magical girl JRPG, um, a magical girl RPG starring Shakespearean heroines. Oh my god, it looks amazing. <laughs> yep, uh, I don't I don't know a release date for it, but those Z boy those Z boy boys they're always up to something. Well, if they want to if they want to talk <laughs> about their uh, new game, boy, we'd love to talk to you again about it. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, forsooth, <laughs> just send me all of the money. Apparently. <laughs> Yeah, I'm bam. sure they will be willing to send us a code. Ooh. They'll be willing to send us a code when it's time to review it, but that will, of course, taint our review because we're receiving handouts, of course. Yeah, you yes, should buy the... it next time. Get it for Christmas. Uh, we have Rhythm Encounter is back and alive and well with several new episodes that have been coming out. We've got 54 coming up soon, so go listen to some great music and some great chat about that music. And then, of course, there's the Phoenix Edge podcast that is continuing to keep up with current events better than I do. And uh, go listen to Hat and Eric chit-chat about everything going on over there. 
Otherwise, thank you so much for listening. It's been a great 200 episodes. It has been my pleasure to be the host, and I'm glad no one has demanded for me to be thrown off the podcast yet. So I'm glad I am living up to the the what is it the the lineage that Rob has established. So thank you so much for that, uh, Mike. Thank for all thank you for all the work that you do on Retro Encounter, and for once again joining us on the podcast. Oh, anytime. I had a good. I had a great time talking about you know how Spider Man is the RPG of the future. It's going to be the <laughs> RPG of twenty twenty. Just watch, right? And uh, how thirsty Rob is, and Jono, as always, thank you for being uh, just a great co-host and being so knowledgeable and great with discussion. I appreciate you, my good man. Always my pleasure. <laughs> and listeners, again, thank you so much. Till next time. Bye now. Be seeing you. Bye. Cool. I'm going to clap in. That's me, Jono. Okay, here I am. Mike. One, two, three, clap. Hey, we all got the clap. Cool. <laughs> not Now not we cool. got to get ourselves checked. <laughs> uh, there we go. All right, let's do this.